But I'm really happy that I had that experience of being at the ranch yes. and understanding culturally what that was. And it wasn't lost on me. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, it's like, hey, this is fun and exciting. And for me, my whole background had been working in sport, in a professional yeah. sport, and watching these little touring sports get big, mm-hmm. watching big touring sports get organized, mm-hmm. and going, oh my gosh, like this thing is... I mean, I used to joke, I was talking to Tony a long time ago and he's like, hey, the games are going to be really big. They're going to have a video display there. <laughs> and I was like, man, you guys are sitting on the top of a rocket looking, going, hey, look how high we are. I was like, you haven't even hit the ignition switch yeah. yet. I was like, once this thing starts taking off, I mean, it has unlimited potential. This is episode number 90 with Justin Berg. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, welcome back to Pursuing Health. We've got the 2018 Reebok CrossFit Games just a few weeks away and the excitement and anticipation is certainly building. There is a lot of attention on the athletes right now as they make their final preparations for the competition. But in this episode, I wanted to take a little bit of a dive into exactly what's going on behind the scenes in order to make the CrossFit Games, the professional sporting event, and the annual celebration of our CrossFit community that it has become. I've talked previously on the podcast with CrossFit Games Director Dave Castro on episode number 29. If you haven't yet heard that one, I highly recommend going back to check it out. It was one of my all-time favorites and one of my most downloaded episodes ever. But in this episode, we get to take another peek behind the curtains of the CrossFit Games with Games General Manager Justin Burke, and I got a lot more than I bargained for from this conversation. Justin has a personal athletic background in baseball, and after an injury that ended his aspirations of playing in the major leagues, he used that challenge as an opportunity for personal growth. As a result, he's developed a phenomenal personal outlook and a series of habits that have allowed him to rise to his current position as general manager of the CrossFit Games and really thrive in that role. In this episode, we talk about Justin's background working for a sports technology company, his leap of faith quitting his job and opening a CrossFit affiliate, working his way up from a CrossFit Games seminar staff intern to his current role as general manager of the Games, the evolution of the CrossFit Games, and exactly what it takes to pull this event off each year. It's a long one, but I learned so much from every single minute, and I hope you'll enjoy it too. A few quick reminders before we get started. First, this episode is... produced by CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, the best workout tracking in the biz and one I've been using since 2009. You can learn more about it at btwb.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. I'm always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started here on episode number 90 of Pursuing Health featuring Justin Berg. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm so excited to be here with Justin Berg, the general manager of the CrossFit Games. Yeah at the height of the CrossFit Games season. So thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. 
I'm really excited to dive into all kinds of stuff, but we're five weeks out right now from the games. Yep, we're um, there. So what is your day-to-day, what kind of things are at the top of your mind right now? So right now, with a little over a month left, it's mostly wrapping up details. Okay. So um, it's confirming uh, kind of the general overview of what the workouts are. Mm-hmm. This week, we're traveling to Madison, Wisconsin to do our final pre-production meeting okay. where we will talk about course design, we'll talk about schedule of events, and we'll bring in a bunch of our key leadership and the broadcast team. Okay. And then from that meeting, they'll all go home and they'll put the kind of final nips and tucks on all of their leadership plans. That's very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. And I want to get into a lot more details about the games, but let's back up a little bit and talk about your background, how you you know, maybe what you did athletically, your background as far as education goes, and then how you ended up in CrossFit. Sure. Um, So my background is I I played sports my whole life. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Florida. Um, I played a lot of basketball and soccer when I was a kid. I picked up baseball when I was in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, Had an opportunity um, to play professional baseball and become drafted. I didn't play, but I actually got drafted when I was a senior in high school. Oh, wow. I was a good student and elected not to go to college. And instead cool. I said, wow. hey, I want to go play. You. you can always go back to school. Yeah. And, uh, and I was great. I had a super supportive family that mm-hmm. said, you know, Hey, if this is something you're passionate about, go right. for it. Never questioned it. That's um, awesome. and now you look back and you're like, man, you know, Brown, Notre Dame, you know, Harvard, <laughs> those were, those were good schools. You know, I can't believe I was, you know, no, thank you. I'm going to go play professional baseball. Yeah. I tore my hamstring. Um, my senior year, a couple weeks before the draft, which means that my draft status was very low. Mm -hmm. And they did what they call a, a, they basically drafted me with no intention of signing me because I was injured. And they sent me to a junior college to play for a year and Mm -hmm. that could maintain my eligibility. In junior college, I tore my right rotator cuff. Oh man. So now with the torn hamstring and then a torn rotator cuff, you were, it was damaged goods. And so it was kind of a big wake up call for me and actually kind of a really important part in my whole thing where I've been an athlete my whole life. And for about a year, your shoulder is rotten and I, you know, they took care of my shoulder, heat shrunk my labrum, yeah. you know, repaired a bunch of tissue there and uh, couldn't run, couldn't exercise, mm-hmm. you know, was in between schools, didn't have a real great social network mm-hmm. to fall back on and it was a real kind of low point. And so figuring out how to cope through that became yeah. kind of an early kind of inflection point that I could go back to later on. What are some of the biggest things you learned from that? Because I, f- I hear this over and over and I think even myself, an injury in high school was the first time I really started to learn those lessons about what's really important, what do I want to do? Um, and I think as devastating as it can be, it sure. can be really shaping for people. I, I think that's the beauty of sport mm-hmm. is, you know, there's a an exercise component to it. There's a bunch of socialization that yeah. people get from it. But learning how to fail safely is, mm-hmm. I think, probably the greatest thing that sport gives people. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a, you know, it's a violent exercise um, <laughs> where I was on a track where I mean, I was playing with a guy that threw 97 miles an hour and pitched in the big leagues. Wow. And so he was kind of my training partner. And, you know, I was thrown in the, you know, low 90s at that point. And so I thought I was on that track. Yeah. You know, my mindset, my paradigm, my worldview was, hey, right. this is it. It takes everything. You have to be fully committed. And when that worldview gets shaken, mm-hmm. it's really, really disruptive. And so figuring out how to cope with that. Um, in a safe way, you know, this wasn't like war, right. um, you know, it was something that you will recover from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was really, you know, important to me. And at same time, you know, I broke up with the girl I was dating, mm-hmm. was in between schools. The junior college I was with said, you're out of here. Couldn't get the surgery through that school. So mm-hmm. I had to go and do it 
elsewhere. Um, and interestingly, I re- read a book at that point uh, by a guy named Martin Seligman called Learned Optimism. Oh, okay. And a lot of people hear it now. It's actions, beliefs, consequences. He was kind of the originator of that okay. whole school of thought. And that there's an action that you can't change. Mm-hmm. There's a belief which you can change and there's a consequence. And there's a consequence to the action, but usually it's largely the consequences based on your belief. Mm-hmm. So you get into an accident and you think I'm a bad driver and you're a bad driver for a long time after that. Or you get into an accident and you say, that was a fluke. Thank goodness it wasn't worse. Now, statistically, you know, it's unlikely I get into another accident right. for a really long time. <laughs> you're a competent driver going afterwards. Well, for me, I, I bottomed out pretty hard and sport wasn't a safe place that I could go back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the rest of my playing career, I went back and played in college and I felt like I just had damaged goods. So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, going out and playing tennis and, you know, you feel pretty good and all of a sudden you break a string Yeah. and you go, man, you know, that's really frustrating. But in your mind you go, it's not my head. Mm-hmm. I'm not a head case. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I'm throwing pitches and then all of a sudden, you know, a bunch of them are good and all of a sudden one flies over the backstop and you're mm-hmm. like, the heck was that? Yeah. Um, and for me, my velocity came back, my control didn't. And so it just became really frustrating. And, uh, but learning how to kind of deal with that became really important for, for later on. So once I was done with my playing career, mm-hmm. um, working, you know, still having the ethos of, you know, you go to work, you practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the most important thing I learned through all of that with, you know, having a, a big league mm-hmm. ball player that I was with a lot, having a terrific our uh, high school baseball coach was mm-hmm. Roger Maris's son. Roger Maris set a home run record in 1961 that Sammy Sosa and Mark wow. McGuire broke, yeah. but their whole family was steeped in baseball tradition, but really kind of ingrained early on, you know, be a student of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that allowed me to have kind of a humble energy about Mm -hmm. all the things that I chose to pursue later on. Mm -hmm. And this is something I think about with my kids. I was just fortunate that I had parents that let me go. Yeah. And they didn't say like, no, you're not allowed to go play, you know, professional baseball. Instead, you should take this as an opportunity to get into a great school. They said, hey, if you're passionate, go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that enabled me to dig deep into something, which is something I hope my kids have when they grow up is Mm -hmm. an attention span, curiosity, and something they find Mm -hmm. passionate. And I did, and then that passion can transfer. And so while I was passionate about playing professional baseball and competing at a very high level and seeing how much I could get out of myself, I became passionate about, you know, things that I was studying and that was sport management for me. Mm -hmm. And then I became passionate about, you know, troubleshooting. I worked for a sports technology company Mm -hmm. and it allowed me to say, hey, I'm totally okay being an intern. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I swept the floor, I drove a box truck, I learned how to crimp cables. Um, but that enabled me to say, hey, I didn't have this entitlement when I went in somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I imagined that I needed to start at the ground floor, work myself up, mm-hmm. and then learn to be a great student of how this business works. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, flash forward to, you know, my first kind of entrance point into CrossFit in terms of CrossFit HQ, mm-hmm. it was as an intern. And so, you know, volunteering my time to say, I'd like to work with the CrossFit Games. Mm-hmm. Um, asking, begging, mm-hmm. although I tried to act like I was just asking. Yeah. Uh, Nicole Carroll, you know, there were opportunities for internships. And yeah. she said, yeah. And I just passed my level two, the okay. old level two. Okay. Oh, wow. So that's like the, the old, new level four. Yeah. Very challenging. Um, and I passed, you know, just by the skin of my teeth. And because I had that, um, she offered me the opportunity and I jumped mm-hmm. at it. But that same thing, I felt like I was always trying out. And because I played baseball and I'd had a lot of tryouts, you just accepted that. There's no, hey, I'm really good and I've had the professional Mm -hmm. background. You ought to. It was, hey, I have all these things. Let me go to work and show you what I can do. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just a constant drudge to say, hey, how can I be around and add value, be around and add value? And then, 
you know, flash forward, you know, yeah, I, I got on board and they had low hiring standards and a lot of work. So <laughs> here we are. Here we are. And how did you find CrossFit in the first place? What was your first CrossFit workout or experience? So I found CrossFit in Jacksonville, Florida, training with a guy. His name was Brandon Alsup. Okay. He's a federal agent. Now he actually just lives over the hill. Funny that we both move <laughs> cross country. And, and my buddy Brandon, he's kind of a short guy, you know, really kind of yeah. stocky and strong. Yeah. And we were the opposite. I'm tall and, and you know, <laughs> lanky. And he would come home and we were roommates and we worked for that sport technology company okay. together. So we traveled a lot on the road. Okay. And so as roommates, he would come home and go, man, I'm so sore. I just did this killer workout. My mm-hmm. back's sore. My traps are sore. My legs are sore. And, <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'd played college baseball. And I'm like, like well, you're doing you doing? it wrong. You're an idiot. <laughs> and I was like, why? How are you sore every day? I was like, you must be crazy. And so one day he's like, hey, you should come to the gym and do this. Yeah. And, and I did, and I don't remember what the workout was, mm-hmm. but I remember going to Bailey's Powerhouse Gym. Okay. And they didn't have kettlebells, and kettlebells were the workout of the day. Okay. And, uh, and so, you know, we used a dumbbell. Dumbbell. You know, which is just lots Swing of fun. Overhead. Right. Um, so we did that, and it had something else, and it had pull-ups, and I couldn't do pull-ups, mm-hmm. and especially not on the, you know, the right. pec deck machine. <laughs> um, but we did it, and I was real sore. I remember my traps being real sore. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, maybe there's something to this. It was hard. <laughs> And, uh, and so he and I started training together and, and he had gotten the workout from a girl that lived just across the street. We lived in a condominium okay. complex and she was dating a guy that was in the Navy okay. and he was getting ready to go to Bud's and he mm-hmm. goes, so they told us you do two CrossFit workouts a day to get ready. Wow. And so that's what he was doing. So my buddy was like, oh my gosh. This is what we have to do. And what, what year was this? Or when, This was when in was 2006. This? Okay. And so I thought I was training with the fittest guy in the world because yeah. he could do a handstand pushup. Yeah. And that was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that was like superhuman. <laughs> you know, I couldn't even get upside down. Uh, and we did that and we had so much fun. And we got in such good shape in our mm-hmm. first year. We would warm up by, we'd go to the cardio theater yeah. and we'd either run an all out 400 meters or 800 meters. <laughs> And just look like jerks. You know, everybody else is on the elliptical and it's dark and we're out there just running and grunting <laughs> and stuff. But it worked out, you know, really hard, yeah. kind of prime the motor. And then we'd get down, we'd stretch, we'd do the CrossFit warm up, uh-huh. and then we would do whatever the main site workout was. And we did that three days on, one day off, and we mm-hmm. did that for about a year. And I remember getting in the absolute best shape I'd ever been in in my life. That's amazing. And uh and then I was in such good shape and there was no competition at that point. Yeah. I wasn't going to a CrossFit gym, we were mm-hmm. just doing it on our own. And so I decided that I should do triathlons because that's oh, what fit people do. Of course. You got really fit doing <laughs> that's CrossFit. I, that's how I started myself. <laughs> but I wanted to yeah. test my fitness right. and I didn't have any outlet for that. And yeah. so we were just doing it by ourselves. And so I, I picked up, you know, I bought a bike, you know, spent 3000 bucks on a bike and all the gear, yeah. you know, sight unseen, you know, didn't know if I was going to like it or not. Yeah. And I raced a little sprint triathlon series. And then I remember that I was doing a lot of swimming and my shoulder would kind of ache when I swam and okay. did a bunch of CrossFit. So I progressively did less and less CrossFit and more and more swim, bike, run. Okay. And then I got done with our triathlon season and I bent the chain ring on my bike. Mm. So I sent it to Austin, Texas to do the CapTex try and, uh, and it got rained out actually. So mm. I never did it. And then they sent the bike back and my chain ring was broken. It was hot during the summer. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'm not going to bike anyway. Yeah. So I went back to the gym and I was like, I can't do a pull up. Oh, and no. that's for me when it clicked that I could be a good triathlete. And I was doing pretty good in this little sprint series. Yeah. But I was losing my fitness and I wasn't okay with that anymore. Interesting. And so I decided from that point on, I was like, bike stays in the closet, CrossFit's as much as I can. Yeah. And, and that became the new kind of ordinary routine for me. That's so interesting because I also started with triathlons. 
I did a couple first with a mountain bike. Not a good idea. Yeah. But then I did. I got a bike for Christmas. Fancy triathlon bike. I think uh-huh. I used it twice. And then I found CrossFit. And, you know, I've used it here and there since then. Yeah. But it's not something that I pull out that often. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Yeah, I was glad I did it, but uh, it was more of a education. So I was glad I did it from the sense of like, wow, I really yeah. understand what fitness is and isn't. Yeah. And I thought it was all, th- you know, I thought you got in shape so that you could do one thing. Right. And then I started realizing it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't get really good at triathlon and expect to, you know, hang on to your strength, and your flexibility and, you know, all the other things right. that we do. Don't lose, don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Very true. So then you're doing CrossFit, you're all in eventually you end up opening your own affiliate. So how did that come about? So I started doing CrossFit in 2006 and 2007. I remember going to the main site every day and I was working for this sports technology company. And so, um, and I was going to the main site every day and I would look at the main site workout at five Mm -hmm. o'clock and then it was, uh, it's five o'clock. So we were at East Coast. It would be eight Mm o'clock. So I'd work all day and then we'd wait for the main site workout to post it like eight. Right. Were we doing it backwards? I can't remember. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, and then we'd go do it and we'd do it late at night and we'd be done with it. And, um, and I remember seeing the CrossFit games pop up and I was like, man, this is the coolest thing in the world. And at the point of my career, I was working for a technology company and most of my clients were professional sporting events. Okay. And so a lot of golf and a lot of tennis Mm -hmm. and I would travel a ton. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I would start dropping into CrossFit gyms wherever I traveled, which Mm -hmm. is mostly golf cities. Mm -hmm. And I had the craziest route where, you know, I met Jeff Tucker when he owned GSX. Okay. Um, who ran CrossFit Gymnastics. Yep. And now runs CrossFit Gymnastics for us. Met Dave Werner, who was the very first CrossFit affiliate, you know, in Seattle, you know, trained at level four whenever I could get up there. Um, just met all these kind of people really, really early on. And, um, and so as I met Bill Henniger in uh, Dublin, Ohio, when I went for the Memorial Golf Tournament. So like, oh, this nice. was like my yeah. little path. Yeah. And so met Bill and we went out and had wings afterwards. And he was like, yeah, one day I want to, you know, I want to start you know, an sell American-made <laughs> fitness equipment. I was like, that's cool. If you ever get that off the ground, I'll buy some stuff from you. <laughs> and, and now uh, he's, you know, Rogue is a yeah, and, uh, and it's one of the real joys of my life that I get to stay in touch with Bill. And we've got so much road behind us together. That's amazing. Um, but I was doing this and going to, you know, events and mm-hmm. then... I was doing my day job and going, you know, I'm making a good money. Mm-hmm. So I was making six figures. I was in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was living in Florida, mm-hmm. no state income tax and you know, things are rolling. Awesome. This is before everything kind of fell off the cliff in 2008. And so I decided I'm in the wrong line of work. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about this other thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to my best friend's dad, who was a football coach mm-hmm. and a teacher. And I'm going, Hey, you got to open this gym. Like yeah. you hate teaching. It's real hard on you. Cause he was dealing with, you know, kids that were, you know, disciplinary yep. challenge. Mm-hmm. And I go, you got to open a CrossFit gym. Like, you know how to power clean. And I was like, you know, you, you know, you coach the football team. I was like, you, you got to get it. in. And he was that rah, rah guy, you know, yeah. just huge heart, just, you know, a guy born leader. Yeah. And, uh, and he goes, man, you ought to do it. <laughs> and I go, I had never even thought about it. I go, what do you mean me? He goes, the world's short of passionate people. Hmm. And I'm, you're on my couch trying to convince me to do something that is very clear that you ought to be doing. And I left and I was convicted at that point. Yeah. What and, good uh, leadership from him. That's amazing to see that potential He's been one of the greatest in influences in my life. Yeah. Um, David Lancaster from Ocala, Florida has been, you know, one uh-huh. of the, the greatest influences anybody could have. And I'm, I'm not the only person that says that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I left and at that point I was convicted and I was like, great. So, I, you know, I'm doing something, but it's not the highest and best use of my time. Yeah. And I'm not going to cure cancer. I'm not going to land a guy on the moon, but, you know, I wanted to help people mm-hmm. and always had 
And so I uh, went home and at that point, like it was done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was working for this company knowing that I had to leave because mm-hmm. um, I was convicted. And so I started looking into open an affiliate and I was training at CrossFit Jacks okay. in Jacksonville, Florida mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. They used to have free workouts at the beach at the okay. lifeguard station. That's the first time I went to a group class. Oh, wow. And uh, so I trained with those guys and then I'd go on Saturdays if they weren't doing the free workout. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, every once in a while I'd go to their old gym, mm-hmm. the old hot box in Jackson, in Atlantic <laughs> Beach. It was, you know, it was like a motorcycle club. <laughs> it was all the things that CrossFit is not now. Yeah. But it was, it was hot and sweaty and no air conditioning. And, uh, you know, it was just, they were trying to drive people out. It yeah. was just trying to like make it really hard and grueling and intense. And whoever sticks around, like you've earned your stripes. Yeah. yeah. They would have these really tough challenges and the guys were all really hard. Very few women trained there. And if they yeah. did, it was just like a rite of passage kind of thing. And big military. Did you have a lot of military people there? We at did. The time? Yeah, yeah. Chris Russell and, uh, and Mike Solis um, were both EOD guys mm-hmm. with the Navy. And Chris was a SARS uh, instructor, uh, search and rescue swimming. And so they had a bunch of SARS guys in there too. So that okay. was what they were doing. Um, and so it was cool for me. I'm like, man, I felt like, you know, it was yeah. like the old school CrossFit. I was like, where are my Chuck T's? And <laughs> you go in there and like you wear gardening gloves because it was Florida and it was so hot that you would just sheath yourself on the pull-up bars. Oh my and gosh. so you just did all these worky things now to, you know, preserve yourself, <laughs> you know, trying to get a couple pull-ups in. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I trained with those guys. And then I did the advice that we tell people not to do, which was um, I opened an affiliate in 2008 uh, with very little coaching experience, mm-hmm. and and I bought a five thousand two hundred square foot gym. Wow! And I'd never coached a class. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't really. How smart. times have changed. <laughs> yeah, times have changed. Um, but I got great advice, and it yeah. was you know start really small, and yeah. uh, so I didn't start small with the gym. <laughs> five thousand. I was fortunate because I worked for this technology company that uh, I stayed on as a consultant for almost a year. Okay. Because when I left, I told them, "Hey, I'm I'm going to follow my heart, yeah. and and I got to do this." And as I left, you know, the world's falling apart. So I just bought a house and, um, you know, financially things are, mm-hmm. you know, going off a cliff. And my boss, who was great, said, you know, you don't have to do this. And we had already hired two or three people to mm-hmm. backfill all my work. So they mm-hmm. took my book of business and they said, but if you don't want to go and you want to come back, you can, mm-hmm. you still have a place here. And that's I remember nice. saying like, that's great, but yeah. I'm in, you know, like <laughs> I'll figure it out. And so, but I stayed on as a consultant for about a year and then that was enough income that it kind of bridged the gap while I'd have, you know, two people in a class and then nobody for a class and then one person for a class. And then in the afternoon you'd have six people maybe. (laughs) Um, But it built up steadily and, um, you know, the gym kept getting a little bit better and a little bit better. And very early on, this is February of 2009, Mm -hmm. I went to the affiliate gathering in Austin, Texas. And I don't know why I went. It was just one of those you ought to. It was like yeah. Mecca. It was like, hey, all the, the affiliates are gathering. Like, just go there. Right. And, and my whole philosophy has been go where the good people are. Mm-hmm. And all the right people were going to be there. And so I went with no expectations and just to be a student. I just mm-hmm. wanted to learn what was going on here. And so I listened to the talks and stayed on a, a friend from college, her friend's couch, like somebody <laughs> I didn't even know, just yeah. trying to keep it real cheap. And while I was there, I, I met Greg. Okay. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I... I've known I wanted to work for CrossFit since, you know, very early on. Mm-hmm. This is where my heart is. And I left this other job. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't a lateral move. I mean, I went like, you know, Completely, in everybody's yeah. mind, I went 10 steps backward. Yeah. I was a senior sales and marketing manager for a very successful company in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. You know, I had an all access credential to any sporting event in mm-hmm. the world. And I quit. I quit the coolest job anybody's ever heard <laughs> to open a CrossFit gym. And I knew in my mind, it was going back to that, be a student of the game. I I did not want to approach CrossFit without saying, hey, I'm all in. Mm -hmm. I need to learn an affiliate from the ground up. 
and I wanted to understand the material of the level one course. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to know that well, because mm -hmm. I remember going to my first course and hearing the lectures and the delivery and going, I didn't know there was such a thing as a flow master or you know, right. staff or whatever. Right. I go, their command of this material is too good. Yeah. And I just want to one day be able to deliver the material like they did. Mm -hmm. um, and I got that opportunity later. Mm -hmm. Um, but I saw that. And so anyway, so I'm back in my gym and, and so I meet Nicole, she offers me an internship. I meet Greg and he introduced me to a couple people and said, Hey, you know, you should talk to these guys. Yeah. Like Greg does. He walked me right across the <laughs> lecture floor as people were talking. Here He's like, go. meet these guys. <laughs> and, um, and it, and it wasn't a quick fix on that side, right. um, but I got a couple good connections and eventually got hooked up with, uh, Tony Budding who was mm -hmm. running the media side. And then I was kind of working it from both angles where mm -hmm. I was going, hey, uh, let me help, let me help, let me help. Anything I can do to help you guys, I'll just yeah. do it. You don't even have to hire me. Just if you got extra work, just throw it my way. Yeah. And then on the seminar side, I was interning and, and I got through a couple internships and, you know, by the grace of a couple of flow masters back mm -hmm. then, they kind of tucked me under their wing, uh, Drew Thompson and, you know, some other guys. And, mm -hmm. you know, they kind of helped me be successful. Mm-hmm. And I got to the very first uh, trainer summit mm -hmm. that was out in Golden, Colorado. Okay. And when I was there, I think it kind of connected where, you know, I'd been working on a couple of things saying, hey, I'm, I'm Justin Berg mm -hmm. and I'm helping on the game stuff or trying mm -hmm. to just being a nuisance. You right. Know, just just hanging around. Ready and on the other side, I was Justin Berg that had had the opportunity to, you know, make seminar staff and mm -hmm. Dave, you know, kind of invited me out and you know, if you pay your own way and you can get out. And so I ended up and I was like, hey, that, I'm the same guy. Yeah. And, and it started moving a little bit faster after that point. Um, and so there was a lot of work in those early days. Yeah. That was 2009, uh, 2010. I came on as an employee for the first time. Dave had always been the director of the games, but I came in as the first employee that was only under games. Under you games. Know, Dave does training, which is a huge responsibility. Yeah. And then also does games and games at that point was one event. Um, and so I came on and helped, mm -hmm. you know, kind of take some of the load there and and that was the first year that it was at the StubHub, correct? Or that the Home was Depot so 2010 was the first year. Yeah. So I came on in 2009 and was just helping out, came mm -hmm. to the games, was a judge. Okay. You know, it's funny, you go back and there's some yeah. pictures around the halls. You go back and you look at some of those early days and you're like, there's Chuck Carswell, there's, oh, there's yeah. E.C. Sinkowski. And the, even the competitors, you see like Annie Sakamoto competing yeah. and different people. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. There's Jenny Orr getting cut and being pissed <laughs> and having a couple beers and, and railing on Dave and then, you know, and then being the demo person. Right. on Sunday, you right. know, it was, it was a surreal experience, but I'm really happy that I had that experience of being at the ranch yes. and understanding culturally what that was. And it wasn't lost on me. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people it's like, Hey, this is fun and exciting. And for me, my whole background had been working in sport and professional yeah. sport and watching these little touring sports get big, mm -hmm. watching big touring sports get organized mm -hmm. and going, Oh my gosh, like this thing is, I mean, I used to joke, I was talking to Tony a long time ago and he's like, Hey, the games are going to be really big. They're going to have a video display there. <laughs> and I was like, man, you guys are sitting on the top of a rocket <laughs> looking, going, Hey, look how high we are. And I was like, you haven't even hit the ignition switch yeah. yet. And I was like, once this thing starts taking off, I mean, it has unlimited potential. And for me, I haven't made a lot of big bets in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, my wife and my career have been the two smartest things I've ever made a decision on. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked and I'm <laughs> risk averse by nature. And yeah. so the fact that I was like, Hey, I'm quitting this job as the market's falling apart right. to open a CrossFit gym because that's where my heart was. It was, um, you know, like I said, it was, you, know, you it was just knew. Yeah. yeah, it was going somewhere. So what was that experience like? Maybe you can take us from like the 2009 games um, or the games at the ranch, mm -hmm. what your first impressions were seeing it all happen and then the ideas that you had for how this would grow and how it's evolved over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
seeing the games in 2009, it was an incredible event. Yeah. And so it's the same ethos that we have now, which is it has to be a great test. And mm-hmm. I didn't understand it at the time, but you know, Dave was programming everything mm-hmm. and then kind of handing things off to Boz and being like, just get it done. Mm-hmm. And then there's a handful of other people underneath that. And, and so just seeing it and then respecting the, you know, this really does come from Dave's mind. You mm-hmm. know, he's the guy that he and Nicole have built the training, you know, mm-hmm. system. And this is a testing system. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to educate people on fitness and we're going to give them the test that is like straight out of the what is fitness lecture. Yeah. You know, we're going to give them a, a wide variety of tasks and he or she that performs statistically best will be the fittest. And so it has to be a broad test. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a fitness test. And so I saw that and I appreciated it. And then the very next year, they said we got they got kicked out. And so we weren't able to go back to the ranch. Right. And so they said, hey, we have to move to another venue. And um, we're thinking about the Home Depot Center in Carson, California. And I go, I've been there. You know, they used to host yeah. a tennis tournament. Yeah. And I go, I've, I've worked inside arenas uh-huh. for like the last five years. Like I know how stadiums and arenas work. I understand yeah. facility operations. That wasn't my job mm-hmm. at that point. You know, I had done event operations, but I was doing more you know, business development and mm-hmm. technology solutions. But I go, I can do that. I can go backwards and I, I've got yeah, a skill set that that'll work there. And so we moved there and, you know, it was, I remember it was a couple weeks or my, it was probably about this long before the games okay. in 2010. And, and we were actually here in this office mm-hmm. and I sat down with Dave and Tony and it was like, Hey, Dave goes, Tony, you got all the media stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do all the competition stuff. Justin, you got everything else. <laughs> And it was like, it was, it was a complete acknowledgement. They're like, there's going to be all this other stuff. And like, I don't know, don't don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I like feeding the volunteers, like scoring systems, you know, communications and all that kind of stuff, you know, dealing with the house. Like we're not going to like figure it out. And, uh, and it was great because that was the way the system worked at that point. And it was small, you know, we had one little TV truck. I don't even think we were live. That wasn't even, that was before ESPN or before any other. I think we did one hour for ESPN. And and then that was the very first year and it was hard. I mean, it was a really hard year. Um, I mean, that was one of the few times I've cried that I can remember and forever. And we yeah. got done with the event and we had pulled everything off and, uh, and we went to give the checks out Yeah. and there was a person that was working on our team and she was writing the checks down and yeah. it was like, you can't imagine the amount of stress and misinformation that's flying around oh, during yeah. the games at that point. Um, cause the workouts aren't even known, you know? So it's oh, like, yeah. Hey, you know, everybody's listening to the way Dave briefs it and then being like, okay, I guess that's the final answer. It wasn't like we had written briefs and movement standards and it was like, hey, Dave just delivers the tip. It was like, hey, sometimes we were deciding in the moment, you know, like, is it three rounds or is it five rounds? And he said five, we're doing five. Um, And uh, and so we got done with the games and it was like this huge burden lifted and it was the closing ceremonies. And uh, and I walked over and I saw her writing Lori Carver on the check. Uh And I was like, Lori Carver? Didn't even know she was competing this weekend for the fittest woman on earth. Check for twenty five thousand bucks. Yeah. And uh and so we walked out and Dave was giving out the checks and um you know, Kristen Clever won. Yeah. And so the time comes to give her the check and the hands name. the check for fittest woman on earth, twenty five thousand dollars made out to Lori Carver, <laughs> who won the masters. Yeah. And and I'll never forget it. Dave looked over at me and just gave me this smile that uh-huh. wasn't it was like, This is so effed right now. And I'm just like Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was yep. me. You know, like I, I mean, it was it wasn't me, but I looked yeah. over somebody's shoulder and let the mistake happen, and uh, and I was gutted. Yeah, absolutely gutted because you had so much build up for the entire year. Yeah. It was the first year that we were in this great stadium, and um, so much positive, really, when you look back. Yeah. Um, but it was just like being a baseball player. Yeah. And you know, you throw a perfect game into the ninth inning, and you make one bad pitch, and you give up one run, and you lose the World Series. Yeah. And the last pitch I made was a bad pitch. Mm-hmm. 
And I felt that for a whole year and was devastated. And I remember like the after party was a buzz. I mean, I, you know, my now wife was there and, you know, I, I don't remember flying home. I don't remember the next couple of yeah. weeks, like just total blackout. Yeah. Some of it was sleep deprivation, but I'm a lot sure of it was just yeah, of the, the there. stress <laughs> of it. Um, but I got back, I was like, we're not going to let that happen again. Yeah. And it wasn't just that, but it was all the other things leading things, up to yeah. it. It was like, it was too hard. You mm-hmm. know, it broke people. Um, you know, and the volunteer, it was just the only way it worked was by the sheer will and determination of the staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a the huge leader. testament to all the people it's who were there. It's unbelievable. And we look back, it was like, none of this should have worked. Yeah. You never should have gotten it going. I mean, you look back, even this picture that's on our wall right here. Yeah. I look back and I was like, man, we were fighting against ourselves. This is 2012. Uh-huh. This is two years after our first year at the this at the Stump Up yeah. Center, it used to be the Home Depot Center. And we didn't even have lanes on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, so this guy's got to get off his rower and he's got to run out to that barbell, which is about 50 feet away. And like we had basic problems, like didn't know how many reps they were supposed to do because we didn't have scorecards with the judges yeah, and didn't know how to keep people in their lanes because we didn't have lane assignments. Like all the things that have evolved naturally yeah. as not going to let that happen again, not going to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've learned quickly. I mean, you think about all of this, the sport's less than 15 years old mm-hmm. and the advancements that we've made both in the, the media coverage and then the quality of the presentation, mm-hmm. making it a festival, now mm-hmm. adding on the doctor stuff that we're doing early yeah. in the week, making this into an affiliate gathering for people from all over the world. Um, it's really special, but it's happened in a really compressed time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's happened right. It's based on you know really firm footing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully at the end of the day, people that come, are really enthused by that. Mm-hmm. I think there's my belief is people that come to the games and they watch the games it makes it a little easier to do a six o'clock workout. Yeah. It makes it a little bit easier to follow a nutrition program. Right. You know, people want heroes. They want shining examples. And I think the games provides it in spades. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's incredible to see just how quickly it's evolved and how professional it is. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, and to think, I think people don't realize, like you tell this story from 2010, people don't realize exactly what was going on behind the scenes at that time. Because even then, I mean, you were gutted for a year about the check. I didn't even know about the check. Sure. I mean, I watched it. I didn't know the yeah. name was wrong, but like all of those details. And I think it's also a testament to how much pressure you all put on yourselves to be um, so excellent in what you do and how that has paid off over the years in terms of what you've learned and how you've made it better. Well, thanks. I, I think a lot of that ethos is what's cool about this is in my mind, it's a virtuous cycle. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ethos that we use on our teams is the same stuff that we've heard preached, mm-hmm. you know, since I started following this stuff, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, chase excellence. Yeah you know, the money and the success and all that stuff will follow, you know, do common things uncommonly well. Mm-hmm. We run on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and all those things now, you know, put competition first, you know, it has to be a good test, you know, and there's all these other distractions. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we have very simple guiding principles about mm-hmm. how we run our events on site, how we're going to make decisions when mm-hmm. there's not a clear win or a clear loss. Yeah. How do you handle those gray zone type things? Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of that is just, what's great about that is that's what allows us to use, you know, a staff of 800 people, yeah. volunteers, people that are flying from all over the world to come to leave their fingerprints all over the event. It's amazing. I tell people all the time, what you see on TV, it doesn't just fall off a conveyor belt. <laughs> it's not this tech solution where you model it and you calculate it right. and then it just rolls off like this perfect little product. Yeah. Every shot that you see on TV a person sits in a chair and says, take that camera view right now Mm -hmm. and then show me a different camera view and Mm -hmm. then show me that graphic. It's all handmade on the broadcast side. 
all the equipment that rolls out on the floor. People do that. Mm -hmm. And those people are led by another person and then they're checked by another person. Mm -hmm. And then that person sits in meetings and hears the intent of the workout and why it's important and why this progression needs to be told this way. Mm -hmm. And it all ultimately funnels up to Dave as Mm -hmm. the vision Mm -hmm. for what the test is going to be. Um, and then it's my job to make that a reality Mm -hmm. and to, you know, produce the event in such a way that, it's encoded um, mm-hmm. that the ethos from every volunteer all the way up is there are very high standards, mm-hmm. which is the same as CrossFit. You know, yeah. we expect you to be really good and it's going to yeah. be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable, but but it's worth it. It's mm-hmm. meaningful work. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really cool is you leave the event and kind of that glow that people have when they leave and come home, whether you're a spectator or an athlete or if you were involved with the behind the scenes operations, you feel yeah. so proud of what we were able to do as a community with it's all those huge. different groups coming together. It's more of a coordinated effort than it is. It's, it's not... Dave versus the athletes. It's right. Dave pulling the athletes along. Right. Um, and the tests continuing to evolve each year. And I think the athletes have tremendous appreciation for that because, you know, he has to almost believe in them more than they believe in themselves and what they're capable of doing. And every year he pushes them. And that's why we're seeing such dramatic improvements in fitness year after year after year, sure. still more than 10 years in. Yeah, it's the threshold training. Yeah. Exactly. You know, if you think you're the best and that's why I think the games is really cool. It's, you know, every year, I mean, it's, it's a human nature to say you want the test to stop Mm -hmm. so that you can just graduate your skill or your knowledge or your experience up to the level of being really good, Mm -hmm. but you don't want the bar to keep raising. (laughs) And, and it's a misunderstanding of the world. You know, the world's moving faster now, evolving quicker, you know, technology and communication and all those things, you know, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Um, but it's the same thing is you want to think, Hey, once I've graduated, once you finish your residency, you're like, I'm basically right. done. And no, now I know enough. And what you really know is you I don't. know nothing. <laughs> if you, if you think yeah. that's enough, then it's not enough. Right. Uh, but people want in sport. I mean, it's the opposite. We're a very different version of sport mm-hmm. than all the other versions of sport that are out there. The height of the rim doesn't change every year in basketball to accommodate taller and taller athletes. Yep. You know, the length of the 100-meter dash doesn't get further and further because Usain Bolt sets a new world record. Right. You know, but it does in CrossFit. It's a constant grading up. And so I think that's why it is more of a of a test and an evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, other sports, the gamesmanship is the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the excitement of game seven. Well, the rules aren't harder. That's not part of the drama. Mm-hmm. It's just, hey, it's such a simplified version now that right. everybody gets. You put it in the hoop, you get two. If you do it from far away, it's three. <laughs> you know, how long you're going to play for. Yeah. You know, football, even people that don't understand football are like, yeah, basically get it. You yeah. know, once you figure out the score, it's not that hard, yeah. but that's why it's hard for CrossFit because you go every year it's different. It's always changing. It's always evolving. Right. Um, but then what you see is like you said, the evolution of the athlete. Yeah. And I think it's really special. It wouldn't happen otherwise. And coming from working in other sports that have set rules mm-hmm. every single year that are exactly the same, what additional challenges does the CrossFit Games pose as far as planning and execution? Obviously now there's a little bit more planning that goes in. You're not hearing the workout right at that moment, but how do you adjust and make that happen with such a different test every year? It's a a really good question. Um, What we have to do is build a robust communication network Mm -hmm. in order to handle it and so unlike most sports like the olympics where you say we know what the events are and what the competing sports are Mm -hmm. and we know our timeline you Mm -hmm. know years in advance we don't and so all of that first off we run an annual competition Mm -hmm. and then also we you decide the new events and workouts you know we release it to the world only minutes or hours sometimes before the athletes do it and so we have to build a team 
that is able to show up on site without full operating understanding mm-hmm. and still be effective. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing is you understand what you're going into. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have all the information. You know, mm-hmm. some people are going to have a bunch of the workout details, but they won't know the schedule. Some people are going to know the schedule, but they won't know the event details. Some people are going to know what equipment is being used, but they won't know the rep scheme. Mm-hmm. And so you have to know what you know and know what you don't know. It's an important part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a lot of trust is that yeah. we will give you the information with enough time for you to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that's from an athlete or from a judge or from the equipment personnel, from a media standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want it earlier. Right. Which Everybody is uncomfortable wants. for people. Everyone wants to know what's going on. And it's, yeah, it takes a lot of being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that's what some of the best athletes in our sport yeah. display, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal adaptation, yes. is their acceptance. Yes. And Boz and I talked about this a long time ago. That's what made Froning uniquely good mm-hmm. early on is he didn't resist the test mm-hmm. it wasn't grace good double grace ah, i think that's a little too much it's yeah. a little late in the day so it was grace okay Let's double do grace. It. what are we doing Fine. next whatever yeah. but that acceptance he didn't waste any mental energy resisting it mm-hmm. um and i know a lot of people kind of popularize that now but um but it's really hard he's like that yeah. knee-jerk reaction there was no hey just whatever it is we're going with and it's still yeah. this way right. i mean we do events you know dave will you know we did the the events out in Big Sky, Montana. And mm-hmm. it was like, hey, Rich, get down from your hotel room. We're doing something. And it was yeah. like, okay. You know, like you just kind of excite, oh, yeah. you know, like. Always up for it. Yeah. And never, even with people doing the open, how much do you sit around and speculate what's the first workout going to be? What what are we going to have to do next week? A lot of that's fun, but a lot of it you realize is not within your control until it's announced. During the open, when it's 400,000 people doing it, yeah. what's great about that is it, it builds excitement. Yeah. And I think that that's my, that's where I think the open and regionals and the games are so magical with that is that there's this anticipation as a fan, which we all become fans very quickly. Um, You didn't, you stayed on the athlete track, but for almost everybody else, you go, (laughs) man, what's it going to be? And no other sport has this, like, you want to know what team you want to know who's going to win and lose. Um, But you don't have this, like, I wonder what event they're going to do. Right. I wonder if it's going to be heavier, if it's going to be light. Um, I wonder if I'll get to vote on it. Yeah like we did this year that for 18.5 cool. when we did previous years with DT. Um, and so that sense of ownership from the community and they all get it, right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as Grace gets announced, everybody's like, oh, Grace, that's really hard. And double Grace, they're like, are you kidding no me? No way. Because they've all done Grace. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's you have this sense of camaraderie and you feel for the athletes. It's mm-hmm. such a personal thing. And then through the narrative and the storytelling, how we try to pull who these people are mm-hmm. and you share it with the world. Because mm-hmm. some many of these people have incredible stories. Mm-hmm. The athletes are such remarkable human beings. Mm-hmm. They're durable. They're performance oriented. They have to surround themselves with positivity. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause it's really uncomfortable what they do and mm-hmm. stressful and all those things, but what they do uh, is really cool. Um, and it is empowering to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, how many people are like, man, you know, you see any Thorstad and you're like, I want to be like her. Yeah. Um, or you hear Katrin say something. You're like, yeah, I really get it. I went to Iceland and I bought this little figurine. My daughter's a year old. Uh-huh. And I remember, you know, being around those women who are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just culturally in Iceland, uh, I bought her a little figurine of a puffin, which uh-huh. is, a you know, the more puffins in Iceland yeah. than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And, uh, and I wrote her a little card and it's basically telling her there are these incredible women. So here, I'm your dad. Yeah. And you're one mm-hmm. and you know, I'm 30 something mm-hmm. and I just went to this crazy little island and these people are so remarkable. I hope that you'll be able to go back and watch some of our media yeah. and see how these people were durable, um, 
they didn't ask for things they didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. So when Sarah doesn't perform as well, she goes, I need to be better. <laughs> and Catherine goes, I was beat by remarkable people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Annie says, this is the best performance that I've had. You know, yeah. she's so much better than she has been in the past. And she's mm-hmm. very proud of that. That whole spirit, I hope my son has that. I hope my daughter has that. You yeah. know, there's three remarkable, you know, champions or, you know, top performing, you mm-hmm. know, women from Iceland. I go, man, that eat those. I want my son and my daughter to have that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just kind of washed over me. I'm like, Hey, I'll, you know, ask me about that when you're 14, Yeah, you know, cause I want to talk to you about yeah. how impactful that was on me. And, and I hope that you can go back and watch that media. I hope mm-hmm. you get that interview and it's going to live, you know, for a long time. Right. Um, That's amazing. I love seeing the way kids react to watching the CrossFit games. It's one of my favorite things. Sure. Or when they get to meet the athletes or just seeing seeing pictures and videos of them watching it on TV yeah. and how they emulate and and learn. I think CrossFit athletes are some of the, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting opportunity for kids to have role models for what it's like to work hard and mm-hmm. to have well-rounded fitness that they can take with them and, and to have these positive sort of body image especially for the women the positive yeah. body image and working hard and being strong it's yeah. amazing and what i love is that it occupies their attention mm-hmm. and their kind of mind share you know at a time where they're being flooded mm-hmm. right there's never been more media consumed on your devices yeah. there's never been more television being consumed television's going down but you get more you know device mm-hmm. consumption going up and so you're constantly competing for attention and mind share yeah and so to occupy space in that broad kind of distraction vehicle, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like social media, everything blinks, vibrates, grabs your attention. Yeah. And some of the things that blink and vibrate and get your attention that you binge watch are really positive messages yeah. about an athlete that transformed themselves, mm-hmm. about, you know, a, a hero that you want to be like, you know, you know, kids wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these people that now, like in my generation, you're like, you know, the whole, everybody knew that he got cut from the high school basketball team, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of like, you know, he had to come back and prove himself. So like, that was just part of a thing. And to have our athletes' stories being told, you know, mm-hmm. Travis Williams loses a bunch of weight and he's competing in the CrossFit Games. Mm-hmm. And you have people like uh, Carly Matthews, mm-hmm. you know, who has this remarkable story of overcoming challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these people, you know, they're, they're just unbelievable. Um, but I think that's the cool part is, you know, we're part of the mainstream story at this point, yeah. you know, and this is not the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the thing that loosens the jar. Yeah. And then you hope that they go, wow, yeah, I've heard about that. I saw it. And you're like, wow, that was really crazy. And then you see the commercial, mm-hmm. you know, in between the events mm-hmm. and it says, hey, I lost 150 yeah. pounds. Hey, you know, I'm off my, you know, diabetic medication. Yeah. I'm off insulin. And no offense, but... I love the commercials are my favorite part of the games. <laughs> I, love it. I love watching the games, but that's where I think because you have this amazing mm-hmm. spectacle, but then you have this captive audience and this opportunity to yep. show them just what you just said, that this is the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And there's so much more below that that can really change lives in such a way. And there's so way. much spear behind the tip. Yes. And that's the point is that this just cracks in a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, I've owned an affiliate for a long time. And it's, you know, you describe it as like, what gets people in the walls of the gym for the first time? Yeah. It's like, you know, again, like opening up that, you know, mm-hmm. a lid, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, somebody twists it, somebody else twists it, you pass it around. Yeah. It's like, Hey, I saw it in a magazine. I saw it on television. My friends don't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I drove past a sign. Somebody commented on it on their social media feed. Mm-hmm. And then there was some other thing that just, you know, popped yeah. out. Oh, my cousin's doing it now. Okay. No, well, if time. he can do it, I can do it. And so we've never made it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I think now more than ever, I think the broad awareness that we're driving and then also the good work that affiliates are doing, mm-hmm. the incredible messaging that's coming out through the media department about, oh you know, yet it heals you. Yeah. You know, that anybody can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's what's great about the whole CrossFit models. You know, it's not a sport. Right. You know, the essence of it is, you know, yeah. you have this unbelievable message, which is, you know, constantly varied functional movement at high intensity. Yep. Uh, when you eat, me- eat meat and vegetables, seeds and nuts, some fruit, little starch and no sugar, you do it in a communal environment, you're like you'll get really fit. Mm-hmm. And then you go to these 15,000 centers where they will dose you up appropriately. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll walk you through an on-ramp class. They'll give you private instruction. Mm-hmm. They'll get you ready for what's today's effective dose yeah. and then get you back tomorrow. And I think people around the world like me, when I started, like I got really fit. Mm-hmm not nearly as fit as when I started training at an affiliate. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. And then you picked up skills and you worked on weaknesses and then you did it with other people. Mm -hmm. And as much fun as it was for me doing it with one other guy, Mm -hmm. I mean, my whole life changed when I started going to an affiliate. And so, um, you know, I think there's a lot more to it. Oh, absolutely. In the community, it's, you you compare it to other sports or like you said, the Olympics where, yes, it's inspiring to watch the Olympics and maybe it motivates you to go to the gym or to start swimming or apparently adult gymnastics classes become very popular after after like Olympics. That with every but sport, yeah, know, with every years, sport. Yeah. But with CrossFit, there's so much more, like you said, that level one, the methodology behind it to support people mm-hmm. and, and really from all angles, making this their lifestyle, making the lifestyle change that's gonna support health. Yeah. So it's it's so incredible. Yeah. A lot of ways to twist open the jar. And I think yeah. it's all additive. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, there are certain people that like or don't like you know, particular aspects of it. But, you know, I think that's the beauty of it is it all right now is one virtuous cycle. It mm-hmm. all feeds into it. So the fittest athletes in the world train at CrossFit affiliates. Mm-hmm. You know, they go onto the games and people that don't do CrossFit see them mm-hmm. and then they find them well, themselves into doors of gyms. And mm-hmm. I think now what's great is that you are not just leaning on that. There's so much positive going on with saying, hey, you know, it's not just the fittest people in the world, but it's people that have lost 150 pounds mm-hmm. and equalizing that message and hopefully steering it even more so, so that people understand that. But there's a lot of sick people that need this. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of people in the middle that are, you know, mm-hmm. motivated by different factors and the games is one of one those way. motivating factors. Absolutely. I want to go back and talk a little bit more about logistics of the game. So mm-hmm. now you said at the beginning, it was you in charge of everything else. You know, Tony had media, Dave had competition. Right. What does the structure of the game team look like now? What different teams do you have um, and how's that evolved? Yeah, uh, it's a very hierarchical structure, but um, it's not really a hierarchy. The The best analogy that I have is uh, it's a team of teams. Okay. It's a popular theme now. Crystal yeah. made it. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a bunch of different groups that have overlapping responsibilities in certain areas. Okay. Um, but it's a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing mm-hmm. is that it starts with people. And then we organize the people enough so that the people can be effective. But we don't try to create a perfect plan. Mm-hmm. And then the people just color by numbers. Right. You know, people have to be bought in. They have to be encoded. And so the way it works in general is, um, you know, Dave's the visionary. So it starts with Dave on what the programming test is. Mm-hmm. And from a cultural standpoint, it also starts with Dave. He's right. the senior guy on the team. Nobody's done this longer. He was the originator of a lot of this. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Dave and myself kind of sit under, you know, I try to make it all work. So I start bringing the canvas. Mm-hmm. bringing the paintbrushes and, you know, setting the time frame on certain things. Mm-hmm. And so it's my job to make sure that Dave has the right documents, that the teams are listening, um, mm-hmm. that we're getting it out of Dave's head into a spreadsheet, getting mm-hmm. it out of Dave's head into floor plans, getting mm-hmm. it out of Dave's head into all these other vehicles. And so now I do very little of that because we have teams established that work directly with Dave for okay. testing, work directly with Dave for, um, you know, putting out the floor plans, mm-hmm. working on the schedule and things. 
And then there's a much bigger group that get into, I mean, loosely the way we organize it is there's a competition team mm-hmm. that works on things inside the ropes, okay. scoring and timing, judging, floor plans and signage. Mm-hmm. And then you have another team that's responsible for the event management. Okay. And those are things like the spectator experience, sponsors, um, working with the house, working mm-hmm. with the city, um, you know, figuring out the budget and finance and mm-hmm. all those things. Mm-hmm. And so it's my job to kind of make sure that the competition team is, you know, plugged in and working closely with Dave. Mm-hmm. And then as the things get a little bit more kind of material, it's jumping into that. Mm-hmm. And then so anything that's contracts, anything that's, you know, business relationships is, you know, I try to make sure that I'm shepherding that in the mm-hmm. correct direction. And then what you've got is underneath that is all the people that do the work. Mm-hmm. And so we have this remarkable staff of, we have a very, very small skeleton crew of people mm-hmm. who are responsible for the organization of the games year round and the games, the open, the regionals, mm-hmm. um, events that we do in the fall. And we have a media team, which is mm-hmm. out of this office. And so I work with those guys. Um, and then beneath them, they have their kind of key leaders. And so yeah. if you go to a regional event mm-hmm. or if you go to the games, there's competition people underneath them. They have team leads. Mm-hmm. Underneath the team leaves, you have you know leaders within their respective teams. And then you mm-hmm. have people that are doing the work. Um, and everybody's doing a lot of work, a lot of manual work. A lot. Um, but... Uh, but it's really cool the way those teams sync up is because they expect that they need help from other teams. Yeah. And so nobody works in a silo. If mm-hmm. you do, you will fail. And if you fail, then other people will fail right behind you. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of communication, but it's a lot of the people that you've seen, you know, for 10 years. Year after year, seminar yeah. staff, flow masters, affiliate owners, uh, trainers that have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then an unbelievably dedicated group of, of volunteers who attend our events, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's regionals or it's at the games for multiple years mm-hmm. that judge, um, you know, usually on the masters at the games or the teams at the games, um, at the individual level, it's 100% level one seminar staff. So mm-hmm. the best seers and correctors mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. for human movement are the ones that are responsible for judging the individuals that mm-hmm. are going to be on CBS or, you know, the main heats mm-hmm. and stuff. We have all these other people that are contributing underneath yeah. them. And how many volunteers do you estimate you have every year? We'll have about 800, 800. in service. That's um, incredible. Yeah. And so just managing a crew of 800 people is, yeah. you know, one challenge. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have, you know, a lot of other people that work on the media side, you know, right. camera guys and things like that, that allow that story to come out and be shared with the world. So that it's not just the, you know, 15 or 20,000 people that attend the games on yeah. site they get to experience that mm-hmm. or they watch their screen, but they can experience it live. And it gives them that kind of peak moment. I mean, August, early August now is a, I mean, if you just look at our social media, it's oh, like, yeah. Hey, it's cool, cool, cool. And then you go to the games, you're like, it's this giant, you know, spike All for the year yeah. uh, that gives people relevance. You're like, I wonder who the fittest person is. Yeah. I wonder who it will be this year. I wonder yeah. what the test is going to be. I wonder what the standard of fitness is going to be raised to for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the volunteers is are one of the most interesting things to me because I don't know of many other organizations that rely so heavily on volunteer support and have such such committed volunteers that come back year after year and that work so hard. I mean, volunteering yeah. at the games is no joke. It yeah. is a lot of work, but people love it because they're so dedicated to CrossFit and how it's changed their life and they want to help this whole production happen. Yeah, using volunteers is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. 
using volunteers for the types of things that we do and the the level of difficulty the level of physical exertion required yeah. is really really you gotta have fit volunteers i mean when you go to a do. pga tour golf tournament they'll have a couple thousand volunteers mm-hmm. course marshal or course marshals mm-hmm. and people that are shepherding people back and forth and, and they all kind of get it it's one, one event a year yeah. they all show up and it's a social gathering for them also and they get mm-hmm. to be close to the golfers mm-hmm. you know what's funny is in golf people pay to become a volunteer so you wow. not only volunteer, but you also you purchase close to the action, your polo yeah. shirt that you get to wear throughout the year <laughs> and stuff like that too. But you know, you pay to volunteer at our yeah. event. Um, the difficulty is much higher. So yeah. you can't be a, a, you can be absolutely a, a 65 year old gentleman or lady. Um, but you're also going to be expected to be in the heat. You might be moving barbells. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be strenuous. You know, it gets really loud. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't yell because we don't like it. We yell because we want you to know it's important and we got to be on time. Yeah. Um, and it's central to our entire event that we run on time. So yeah. you can, you know, when the second hand hits the top, that's when we go. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the truck, in the TV trucks knows. Everybody mm-hmm. on the competition floor knows. The athletes know. Spectators can know that like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to run on time. Um, but the volunteers are you know, they're the lifeblood of this whole thing. Yeah. And I, you couldn't do it if they weren't fit. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have an acceptance that it's going to be uncomfortable, yeah. but it's worthwhile. Yeah. Um, you're going to get exceptionally good leadership. Chuck Carswell and Todd Woodman, mm-hmm. Adrian Bosman, Johnny Mack, you know, all these other guys that you get to be directly underneath. Mm-hmm. What we get and what's really kind of, in my mind, one of the, the coolest validations of mm-hmm. the team di- dynamic that we have mm-hmm. is that we have people that are high-performing leaders in their respective industry come not because they just want to be involved with the games, but because they want to observe and learn from those leaders. Wow. And so you get people that, uh, I'm an emergency room surgeon. Um, you know, I'm a high-ranking you know, military background. Mm-hmm. Um, I own my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I run these other teams and stuff like that, but they come and they go, Hey man, I just want to put on shorts. I don't want to roll the barbells around. I want to be communicated to, I want to be appreciated. Yeah. Um, I want to be given hard work yeah. and then told it's got to be done right. Yeah. And by the way, when it's done, we're going to high five. And if we don't get it exactly right, we're going to get yelled at together. Yeah. But it's again, it's like sport all over again. It's a yeah. safe environment. Nobody dies there. Right. It's not your job. You know, it's not, you know, it's not like your own private practice as right. a lawyer or as a physician or something, mm-hmm. but you get to go and you get to see how those people work. Um, and it's really remarkable. And where we see some of the people that really thrive in that environment because they have more experience, mm-hmm. um, military, fire, emergency services, mm-hmm. you know, emergency responders, mm-hmm. they get it. Yeah. Um, and so like the medical team in particular is so, so good. You oh, know, yeah. they quickly respond to any circumstance that, you know, happens out there. Uh, but that's kind of the dynamic. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of other people that don't have that experience, you get to kind of play with those guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you walk away with so much learning, oh, you know, yeah. on how to be a better leader, um, you know, how to handle stressful environments. And then, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, you can still kind of high five and have a beer and, yeah. and enjoy it. You get some really cool war stories from being involved with the games on that level. That's awesome. And I love one of my favorite things from watching any of the events is the, that you don't get to see on TV often is the, the switch over in between heats because yeah. it's so well orchestrated, the switch out of equipment, sure. the changing of signage. It's so beautiful. And I'm sure has, yeah. you know, everything that needs to go into that um, is way more than people people estimate you know yeah and and that was out of necessity Mm -hmm. so and we talk a little bit about it because the pageantry is not so that we look good Mm -hmm. and that people cheer when you roll the barbells on and off the pageantry is the same way with like marching in the military you know this is the most effective way to move a large group of people from point a to point b yeah and so if you do it wrong 
it's slower. Mm -hmm. And so in order to move, for instance, last year, 100 barbells onto the competition floor (laughs) in maybe a two minute time period, and then take 100 barbells off, take another 100 barbells on, it has to look good. Because if it doesn't look good, it's disorganized. And so that's what we try to work really hard on is especially the equipment personnel is if you're organized, you can be reorganized quickly. Hey, we need to make a quick change. If you're not organized, then it's impossible to change. And so we focus a lot on, you know, practice and rehearsals and being able to quickly change. Mm -hmm. Our teams are very resilient, Mm -hmm. you know, so they're not going, hey, I have a perfect plan. And if it changes, it's fragile. It's Mm -hmm. the opposite of that. They go, hey, we got a really good plan. Tell me what's going to change. Tell me what's going to change. Tell me what's going to change. Nothing changed. Roll them out. Okay, let's go. But the whole team is sitting there not going, I hope we don't change. Right. We're not running an event hoping that it doesn't break we're running an event that is and our attempt is to be bomb proof yeah you know anything can change um and when you have that expectation that anything can change at any moment and people thrive in that environment Mm -hmm. um it's a whole different mindset Mm -hmm. um and so it's a lot of fun that way that's amazing so how does it as far as the rehearsals go for things like equipment changes or things like you know resetting in between heats or Mm -hmm. getting from point a to point b how do you rehearse that? And then also have there ever been any times where something changed last minute and it, there was a, you know, it didn't go off as planned or you were behind or something like that? Yeah, I, I joke, it's all blood and guts behind the scenes, you know, and then hopefully it makes a nice picture on TV. Um, but there's constant. So first is you rehearse what you can control mm-hmm. and you rehearse ways of doing things, mm-hmm. even if it's not the exact thing that you're going to do. So we're going to roll barbells out and we're going to roll them back. Mm-hmm. We're going to roll. And so you don't know if that barbell weighs 135 pounds or 315 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so you figure out, you know, can you get there? Are you able mm-hmm. to get through this gap? Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of it's through uh, iteration. And mm-hmm. so we had an event, this was several years ago, and it was at the soccer field. Mm-hmm. No, it was at the old track okay. at the step up center. Okay. And there was an event which, uh, with the big yoke carry. Yeah. And so this is the yoke that looked like it would decapitate people. And yeah. so they put a yoke on their back and it had swinging sides yes, and they would pick it up and they would walk down and, um, and they would drop weight at certain intervals. And so we had to change that event over in like 60 seconds. And so you have, I mean, you just think it doesn't work, right? right. So you start with this yoke that's super heavy and takes multiple people to load. And then they're going to walk it to the other side of the field mm-hmm. and they're going to drop weight at certain distances. Mm-hmm. And then you've got 60 seconds to reset everything. <laughs> and you're like, it doesn't take 60 seconds to walk the yoke all the way back. So how do we do this? And so we would do one version where you said, Hey, try to do just one section. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that took two minutes. So mm-hmm. that's out. Okay. Now let's try to do this. And somebody came up with, well, maybe instead of picking up the plates, why don't we, and putting it back on the yoke and need three people, why mm-hmm. don't we put it on its side and we'll roll one plate. And we're like, yeah, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on. What if we rolled the plates and and, and we collected them as they went. Okay, well, that's even faster. Mm-hmm. And what if we started clearing the field, you know, before the event was actually done? Oh. So then we kind of preset ourselves up for success. And we need all the volunteers that are really big and strong mm-hmm. to pick up the yokes. And we need the ones that are, you know, Fast. not not yeah. not the heavyweight. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had kind of heavyweights on one side yeah. and you had lightweights on the other side. And you said, so you guys got to run, get the plates and roll back really yeah. quick. And you guys are going to be the strong ones that lift it up and put it back on the yoke. And, you know, we were late on the first heat by like a minute and then the rest of it ran totally fine. And I remember Chuck Carswell and myself and a couple other people sitting at dinner the night before and going in the physical universe that we occupy, it's not possible. 
and then you showed up the next day and said, hey, let's just start trying. Yeah. Just try and try and try and like take off a second. Try to take off 10 seconds. Can you cut it in half? And and we did this with a bunch of people watching. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of those little war stories called Operation Rolling Thunder. Mm-hmm. But once you got that done, you're like, hey, we can kind of do anything. The mm-hmm. big thing is you got to start. And I learned that from my godfather, who's another real important mentor in my life. But sometimes you got to start the work and the work will tell you how it wants to get done. Yeah. And if you sit there and you plan and you plan and you plan, not much actually happens mm-hmm. because you'll lie to yourself. You don't think about the physics of it. And then you get out there and you try things and you're like, okay, so just, and we had a stopwatch the whole time. Yeah. Do it in half as much time. It's Do funny. it in half again. And you start figuring out the solution. If you don't start, you won't figure it out. Right. I remember, I actually heard Tuck, Chuck tell that story about you guys sitting at dinner the night before and just being like... What are, what are we going to do? We were we moving little no French fries idea. around yeah. on our plate. It was like, okay, so if we drop these French fries here, we're like, well, no, that's not going to work either. But again, like working with a French fry is a really dumb way to figure out how to reset a yolk. But we're thinking like, hey, we're smart guys. We yeah. can figure it out. And it turns out you showed up on site the next yeah. day and with a little fire under your butt yeah. and Dave going, hey, we will run this thing on time. Yeah. And we are starting this in like 28 minutes. Yeah. Whether you're ready or not ready, we will start we'll this thing on out. time. And there's been a lot of cases yeah. like that. But you And know, the power of the group think, right? Like, having all these people and then you say one person thought oh let's try this the innovation when you you know when you have an impossible task it forces people to think about it differently it's very seldom impossible um and it becomes a lot more possible as soon as you start moving with the pieces yeah you know it's impossible to figure out a puzzle until you get them all on the table yeah but once you get them there you're like this might take time yeah. you know then maybe there's a better way yeah. and and the group think thing again that doesn't work unless everybody's bought in yeah because if everybody is like hey that jerk over there just said do this it was like no, it's not possible. We've already tried. It's too hard. It's whatever. And everybody's like, yeah, guess we're supposed to. Yeah. And by the way, what did it take? A lot of physical effort. Yeah. It takes somebody that has to roll these plates from 100 yards away. And another person has to pick up this really heavy thing by himself. And he has to put it back on the yoke. Yeah. Well, it works if you're fit. It doesn't work if you just want somebody else to do it. Yeah. You know, didn't work moving French fries around a plate, you know, the night before. But <laughs> it works with people who are bought in that yeah. want to get it right. Yeah. People will train all year for their... Game they do and and they get worked yeah yeah worked yeah. you know it's funny Rossi probably services more volunteers <laughs> oh, uh, sure. than athletes maybe just by sheer numbers yeah. yeah and you know you're standing on your feet all day it's yeah. a lot of you know hurry up and wait um i i say that i don't know if i can say this now that i'm not competing but for my years even just spectating not mm-hmm. even volunteering i feel like that is oftentimes more exhausting than yeah. competing because as a competitor you get that downtime like you go and you give your full effort and then you go rest and you can sleep and mm-hmm. you're in a protected environment i mean it's taxing in very different ways i don't know if i should be saying this but but no. i think that there's something about you know being behind the scenes or the year that i i was on the demo team mm-hmm. being constantly stimulated constantly on your feet constantly yeah. working and doing things is a very different um it's just a different experience of the games. Yeah, I hope that athletes ponder that mm-hmm. every once in a while. Not when you're doing the event. Yeah. But some of them do. Uh, I've got, I mean, I'll be a lifelong fan of Becca Voigt because of her oh, yeah. uh, gracious appreciation for the volunteers that enable these events to go off. Mm-hmm. We were at a regional event in Pomona. It's a little aside. And then I want to talk about you being yeah. on the demo team too. <laughs> but we were in Pomona and it was super hot. We were on like blacktop outside for a regional event and it was just grueling and it was hot. And after the event, it was like everybody was complaining that it was too hot and people were ripping and, you know, somebody dislocated their shoulder and like it was this whole thing. And there was just this like buzz. It was very negative. Um, And it was like everybody had to like overcome 
the event in order to qualify for the games. It wasn't, yeah. you know, which was totally fine. That's sport, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you play in the snow, sometimes it's too hot. And, and we got done with the event and all the athletes leave. And that was your like Lindsay Valenzuela won and she was in the yeah. ice bath. And she's yeah. like, yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> the big story. Um, but we leave the event and you got to remember in this case, the volunteers are the furthest area away from the parking lot. Okay. And then you have the competition floor and the athlete area are kind of in the same place. Yeah. And then if you go further, you get the parking lot where everybody has to leave to go in their cars. And so the event's done and it was hard and Boz and I are like you know we're back with the remaining volunteers and a lot of people just jetted and they're like hey we're out of here and then you've got this core group of guys that are back and it's mostly judges and they're like hey let's grab a quick bite to eat and we got to pack up all this stuff and we got to get the rig broken down and all the signage back in the kit and you have to you know get this parking lot figured out and so here comes Becca Voigt walking back from the parking lot Mm -hmm. everybody's walking to their cars Mm -hmm. and Becca's not she's walking back to the floor yeah she walks past the floor and she walks back to where all the volunteers are sitting mm-hmm. down. It's like people are having burgers and a beer. And, you know, yeah. that's the fun part of an event. Afterwards, Everybody's just yeah. like, can you, but you know, you're like, you then just you get, get to, break it down, you talk just about get to it. talk yeah. about how crazy it was. Can you believe it? Yeah. That little, all the little stories you don't hear when you're moving a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. And here's an athlete back there. And she probably took 10 minutes mm-hmm. and she shook everybody's hand there. Mm-hmm. And she said, thank you. That's amazing. For making this event for us. And I know how hot it was for you guys, just like it was hot for us. Mm -hmm. And thank you for doing all this work because you guys did all this and I got to go out there and compete. Mm -hmm. And she didn't take it for granted. And this was... This is maybe eight years ago, yeah. seven years ago. So if you didn't already love Becca Voigt enough. Man, there's a hundred <laughs> no. reasons that you don't even know why now you ought to love Becca Voigt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I want to talk about the demo team a little bit. Yeah. And I think experience. that's the other that people don't understand is, you know, that all these people, this is what I hope athletes take away from the games at mm-hmm. some point is that they go, all these people want them to be successful. Mm-hmm. The volunteers show up, not because they want to roll out the barbells because yeah. they think rolling out barbells is fun. They want to roll out the barbells so that they're right where the athlete should be mm-hmm. and that they're orderly so that we have a fair test mm-hmm. so that the athletes can show all of us how good they are mm-hmm. and what the new standard of fitness is for the mm-hmm. year. And so they all want to be part of that event. And whether it's volunteers or the medical staff or if it's the media personnel, like they all want to show mm-hmm. what's possible. Yeah. There's this enormous sense of ownership and like, hey, everybody's working and then we all throw the ball to the athlete and the athlete goes, now I'm going to run with it. Yeah. And um, and some of them get it. Becca gets it. A lot of other people do. Some of the athletes that have been r- around for a long time, mm-hmm. they usually do. They really, they get it. And I think, you know, Annie's yeah. had, you know, her ups and downs in her career and I think, man, when you compete and you're like, man, all these other people are here trying to make me successful, yeah. trying to make it a great fair race yeah. so that the athletes can do what they do. Um, so I hope they get that. There's 800 people and, you know, dozens of media personnel and people that work year round and, you know, all the prize money and all that other stuff mm-hmm. so that they can show up and show us all mm-hmm. what's possible. Mm-hmm. But on the demo team, I think that's one of the special parts. Yeah. There's athletes that sacrifice in order to test these workouts yeah. so that we know it's the right test. And uh, you were on the you were in a demo team. What was the, the year first, that you took off? It was right after you competed and it was the first it year was, that you weren't yeah, able Yeah, 2013. That was the first, was that the first demo team? I don't know I if think. it was the first maybe, demo team. Yeah, it was. It was. I it, think I remember that. It wouldn't surprise me that you were on the inaugural demo yeah, team. That, well, that was the year I took off. That was the year you took off and we flew you out to, or you didn't flew you, I think you drove to Columbus, Ohio. To Columbus, yeah. And, and we tested- That was a test regional workout. We tested regional workouts. And it was, was that the first hundreds workout? Yeah. And you hadn't been training a lot, so your hands were a little yeah. soft. I was, 
in such bad shape. I was doing basically like a lifting cycle. I hadn't done a Metcon in like months. <laughs> yeah. But but you said yes. Yeah. Like, so yeah. So you're like, Dave called and said, hey, can you come out and test a couple workouts like, so that we can make yes. sure that these are appropriate for regional athletes? And yeah. you came out and you were really upfront. Yeah. You're like, I haven't been training a lot, so yeah. I don't think I'm a great test. <laughs> and it was one of the more impressive shows of mental fortitude <laughs> that you did the hundreds workout basically yeah. untrained right yeah i hadn't done that many pull-ups in a long time and it showed and on the my very hand. well it showed and it was visible because i think the workout did it start with 100 wall ball shots and do 100 pull-ups um yeah it was wall balls and then 100 pull-ups i think yeah and so on the 100 pull-ups chest bar pull-ups i think yeah uh you shredded your hands shredded. real bad yeah. And like, you know, I've seen a lot of bloody hands with what we've done for yeah. a long time and it was pretty bad. Bill Henniger still tells me every time I see him, he's like, I remember all those guys cleaning blood off from all over the Well, room. I do too, because David left and he said, make sure to test this. Yeah. And, and I didn't know what to do. I'm yeah. like, hey, and I walked over. And so yeah. you did the first two exercises, you know, yeah. 100. And then there was, I forgot if it was pistols and then dumbbell snatches or one of those. Something like that, yeah. And, uh, and you were just, there was like a, a stream of blood <laughs> coming out of your hands. And I go, hey, if you don't want to finish this, yeah. like... I got a pretty good sense of yeah. like what What's the timing is going to be on this. And you just looked at me like I was stupid. I'm like, and you're like, I was, I was so frustrated about yeah. this. <laughs> and I go, Hey, you know, and I'm thinking I'm going to get reamed by Dave if yeah. I don't let you finish this yeah. thing. And I'm going, but as a human being, I'm watching you <laughs> pour blood out of yeah. both of your hands, chunks of skin, the size of a yeah. quarter are in multiple areas of the floor. That's so gross. And you looked at me like I had two heads and you're like, what do you mean? I'm not going to finish. <laughs> and so you continued and and we capped you at a certain point. You didn't finish the entire workout. Yeah, there was like a 20-minute time cap on the workout or something. And I walked up to you, and I said, you did really good. Thank you. <laughs> um, and without missing a beat, you go, so I didn't finish. If I was in good shape, I would have finished that workout, and I probably would have had about a minute or two to spare. Yeah. I think it's about right. All those girls, the good ones will all finish it, and a couple will get capped right at the end. Yeah. Completely lucid. Uh-huh. You know, And at a time where most people would be going like, I hope I don't get a staph infection. <laughs> um, I mean, you're whooped from yeah, the workout. Yeah. Um, but just totally clear and lucid and going, your first thought was, it's a good test. Mm-hmm. The other girls are going to do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I was in better shape, I would have done this, that, mm-hmm. or the other. Um, and I think that's what that level, I mean, I'm not saying that you've got yeah. bloody demo team people <laughs> all over the place, but you got a lot of people that contribute to the workouts yeah. that you don't see. Yeah. Um, but also that sense of you were still part of the test that year. You yeah. weren't competing but you gave us a valid data point in the justified, you mm-hmm. know, time cap and the rep scheme and things like that. Um, but it was cool. I think people forget, you know, it's not just Dave yeah. that creates this workout. It's Dave does, he's the visionary. Um, but then there's all these other people that contribute in their own way. Mm-hmm. And whether it's from an organizational standpoint, whether it's providing leadership, whether it's, um, you know, rolling barbells out, if it's testing workouts, if it's showing which camera angle we want to really explain mm-hmm. this movement to a new audience, mm-hmm. you know, through their TV screen, there's all these people that leave their mm-hmm. indention on mm-hmm. the event. And uh, a lot of them are hidden. But, yeah. You know, it's, you it's cool. That's one of the coolest things I think. And for me in that experience to feel like, like everyone else who works on the games, like you have some role that you can yeah. contribute. Even if, mm-hmm. you know, even if I'm not competing at regionals that year, I still want to, how can I help yeah. make this happen? And so it's so cool to see, you know, and then to be, see what goes on with the demo team at the games. And I was mm-hmm. just talking, I recently interviewed Stacy Tovar and about uh-huh. her testing some of the regional yeah. workouts this year. And it's just, it's such a great experience. Um, well, you know, however you can 
play a role to sure. make it all happen. Yeah, and I think that's what separates us from all other sports. Yeah. You need, you don't have people testing new workouts for the decathlon. You don't yeah. have people testing new workouts for, you know, the NBA, yeah. for track and field and things like that. I mean, the athletes just kind of show up and they're like, whatever, it's been settled 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to run from here to there. Mm-hmm. You know, get out of my way. And you can have a sense of pride and an ego that is very, very rare to find in CrossFit. Mm -hmm. Because I think people appreciate the hard work that goes into it from the athlete standpoint and all the people that work behind the scenes to make Mm -hmm. this event all come together, Mm -hmm. this handmade event. Um, So it is special. You know, it wouldn't happen without our community. Couldn't happen without our community. Definitely not. So what is it like to work with Dave on the games? Uh, it's (laughs) It's been one of the most rewarding opportunities in my life yeah um dave's a great leader he's a very high standards mm-hmm. um i've gotten to know dave uh, well and it's been a real um pleasure mm-hmm. it's not always easy um and i think that's a lot of people talk about like deliberate practice as mm-hmm. being something that you know there's practice and there's deliberate practice mm-hmm. um i have like work and deliberate work you know we there's a constant sense of challenge mm-hmm. um you know, Dave's very, very smart. I think one of the things that people don't realize is how much Dave has evolved as a person. Mm-hmm. I say all the time that people don't change very much. You know, if you look at somebody's history, mm-hmm. it's very predictive of where they're going to go in the future. Um, and when you look at Dave's background and where, you know, where he was when I met him 10 years ago mm-hmm. and where he was five years ago and the person that he is now, um, you know, he's constantly evolving. And, you know, he really embraces that serious sense of, you know, constant improvement of yeah. himself personally and then how he how dedicated he is um how caring and intentional he is mm-hmm. with making sure that things are right and and that's something that resonates with me when i was a kid you know i had a really high sense of quality mm-hmm. um you know like if you wash the car and there's a little spot it was like great wash it again i'm not mad at you you're not yeah. in trouble you're not grounded but you're not coming inside till the car is washed yeah. and you gotta wash it again um, but i always kind of had that my dad was a horse trainer mm-hmm. um and so this notion of quality being an important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get to work in an environment where quality is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and I've got a teammate and a, and a guy that I, you know, is a leader on our team mm-hmm. that I get to learn from and work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, I mean, it's terrific. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shouldn't be easy. I mean, right. if you were looking for pleasurable experiences, right. like you don't say, hey, I want to work closely with Dave Castro and Bob Knight and those kind of guys. Yeah. Um, but to have a friendship, and I do consider Dave a friend and then also to be able to, you know, work closely with him on something that he's so passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so am I. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all I've ever wanted is, mm-hmm. you know, you want to know that your work is meaningful, mm-hmm. um, that you work with a team of people that care as much as you do. Mm-hmm. And we both do. Um, and that you get a chance to win. Yeah. And, you know, for us, not everybody gets that. And we say, you know, it's very rare that we turn staff over on our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and every once in a while you do. Um, we lost a great guy, Stefan Roche. He went and uh, he's a strength coach for UCLA now. And oh, that was kind of like a bucket that. list thing for him. Um, yeah, it's terrific. <laughs> but he had this like, it wasn't like, hey, I'm shopping around. It was like, hey, they called and said, listen, yeah. I got something that you can't turn down. Yeah. And he knew it. And he goes, I got to go. Um, but we turn staff over very infrequently. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why, and I tell people when they're considering it, mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of people in life, they have meaningful work, mm-hmm. but it, you got to do it as a volunteer hobby. Mm-hmm. Is you really feel passionate about your idea or your cause or something, but you got to do it on your own time. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people, um, they get paid a lot of money to do something they don't care about. And so if you work on Wall Street or, you know, I know people that are accountants that are like, I do it because it pays a lot. Mm-hmm. And then so I can spend my money on the weekend. Mm-hmm. 
And then there's lots of people that don't like the team they work with. Yeah. And so we've kind of got the perfect trifecta here. Yeah. Where you get paid like a professional. Um, you get to win. Mm-hmm. You know, we have meaningful work that makes other people's lives better. Mm-hmm. And you respect all the people you work with. And, and that's really hard to replace. And you've played on teams, I'm sure. And team dynamics are really, Huge. really hard to find. Yeah. You know, I could name, you know, on less than you know, the fingers I got on my left hand, mm-hmm. the really great teams and leaders and coaches that I've had. Yeah. And the ones that you did, you're like, that was so awesome. You wish that could last forever. But yes. you can't, you know, in high school, you're there for four years. In college, you're there for a couple more years. You know, most things you graduate out of or mm-hmm. people get taken away and, you know, their life takes them in a different direction. Mm-hmm. To have the core team intact that we've had for so long. Um, has been really special and they're only getting stronger and now you're onboarding other people that mm-hmm. really strengthen the system and they add um, it's just been really cool um, and so getting back to your question about what's it like working with Dave constant challenge we really care about making things better mm-hmm. um, we've been empowered to this point to do some really incredible things and uh, you know I hope it lasts for a really long time it's a it's a really fun seat I've been a leader in everything I've done in my life and it was hard to take a back seat mm-hmm. um, but when you take a back seat to somebody who who you trust and who you think is you know has the right things mm-hmm. uh, in his heart to do you know mm-hmm. Dave wants to do the right thing mm-hmm. and he will challenge things that are not the right thing challenge things that are late challenge things that aren't good enough challenge things that are wrong or misguided mm-hmm. um, it's a it's it's a great environment mm-hmm. um, not an easy environment not a pleasurable environment all the time but uh you know, it's like a CrossFit workout, you know, right. you get so much better because of that. Yeah. And you know, I think anybody would relish the opportunity. That's what makes it so rewarding. You're constantly evolving and getting better. It's not like a, a job that's going to be the same 10 years from now that it was doing the same thing at work every single day. It will not so. be the same. Yeah. My job, I'm the general manager and the general should be like all caps, <laughs> um, but you don't get to specialize. Yeah. You know, you got to get things good and then you hand things off and, and you keep working on kind of growing all those areas at the same time. But it's yeah. just like fitness, you know, you, the things that'll get us killed and not killed, but the things that'll really hurt are not being prepared in some kind of at the, at the margins. Mm-hmm. And so now it's my job as a, as a leader on the team is to mm-hmm. keep kind of expanding the margins and be like, don't let it be this thing. Don't yeah. be weak in this particular area shore that type of stuff up and then now it's you know succession plans and, and making sure our staff is continuing to do that when you're not directly involved mm-hmm. you know anybody can get up and talk but it's hard to talk to a small group of people that's then gonna amplify that message and make it their own and so it's a little bit more where the focus is now you kind of touched on this earlier but what are some of the most challenging things about the job or the things that are maybe the most uncomfortable and then what are what's the most rewarding thing that you get to do i think the most challenging things are the most rewarding mm-hmm. um the most challenging things is I think there are days and times where you just wish it would just stop changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you just wish that, you know, Hey, this is all it was like, give me the Something objective. I know how to do. <laughs> if yeah. I do this and we do that, then it's good enough. Yeah. And, and it's never that way. And, you know, I think it's a good, I have a higher tolerance for being a dad. I've got a three and a half year old mm-hmm. son and our baby girl is a year old mm-hmm. and it's the same thing you know as soon as you get to a point where you're like oh great everybody's sleeping it's like well that's gone um i was <laughs> on a really good moment, job brief yeah moment i got of my silence. morning routine down i'm reading a lot all this stuff is good <laughs> and then like add another baby into that and you're like well that's out the window but you know how do you cope and how do you evolve um yeah. and so i think the challenging things is you wish there was maybe a little bit more of an objective like that's the middle of the bullseye when you nail that it's good but it's not it's an artistic thing it's a little bit more like jazz you know it's like it's not hey here's the song just Mm -hmm. play it exactly as it's written it's hey here's the idea and let's riff on that and then when you're done you're like that was really good yeah um and i think that you know to a certain extent some of the high points of all of this you know i told you about 
a real low point in mm-hmm. my game's background. But one of the high points was 2016 when I was sitting on the competition floor with Dave and Rory mm-hmm. and we were watching the rig get built overnight mm-hmm. in 2016. And, you know, sitting there and like everybody's gone, nobody's in the arena. You know, they've got the video displays on just because they provide light so you yeah. can see what you're doing down there. And we had built like a million rigs overnight yeah. in the past six years that we had been there. Yeah. And and sitting there and having a beer and a pizza and just going like, hey, we're not going to come back here. And we knew it. Yeah. I think the proudest thing I have is that I, we knew 16 was the end. Mm-hmm. Before we announced it to everybody else, mm-hmm. we knew it was over. Um, and so we took that and we appreciated it. And so I think all those little moments sitting on the podium afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, the way we did our, you know, the fir- the Friday night lights that year, yeah. you know, the final event sitting on the floor, you know, being with you know, one of my best friends, Rory and, and with Dave, somebody that I respect so much and is such a close you know partner and teammate with this mm-hmm. and just get to kind of soak it up. You're like, Hey, this is cool. And it's yeah. those moments, not the moments, you know, where everybody's cheering and it looks awesome. Right. It's not the athletes moments, yeah. but you know, you're with a couple people, Bill Henniger's there and some other key folks yeah. and you know, it's just good. And then the next best was, you know, the most rewarding moment I had in recent memory was at the end of the 2017 games in Madison. Yeah. So knowing a year before on Saturday, we had sat on this floor and said, hey, we're not going to come back here anymore. Yeah. It was kind of cathartic. Yeah. We're done. And they go, and I hope 2017 is good. But we had really rode Carson as far as you could ride it. You can't oh, make yeah. that facility a whole lot better. You couldn't fit more people into the Coliseum. Uh, you, we'd been doing those same events and that cadence for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing new we could do on that campus. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were flying people to San Jose just right. for a new test. <laughs> um, and so we moved to Madison. We said, everything's new. And the whole team knew. Mm-hmm. And we had to modularize our whole operation, really solidify the teams, and then put a new team of people in a new environment and yeah. watch them thrive. And then when we got done with the event and it ran way smoother than we had anticipated, mm-hmm. even with weather delays and we had, you know, storm systems mm-hmm. come through that blew over a vendor booth that collapsed things. You had fence fall over. Like you had all these crazy things yeah. that we never had in LA. I mean, it yeah. never rained in LA right. and we were in Madison. We ran our emergency action plan like four times in three <laughs> days. But, um, but when we got done and they showed the video at the end and it was about, you know, and the CrossFit games have moved to Madison. Yeah. And it was kind of the perfect synchronicity of like the media team was like, hey, we're going to turn around the ultimate highlight like moments after the event competition is done. Yeah. And just sitting there and looking up and you're like, hey man, it, it worked. We did it. Um, yeah. You know, we moved this system that had been in Carson for seven years into a new home and the new home worked. And the fun part was that when we were in Carson, there was no more juice left in the lemon. Yeah. It was, we had done everything we could do with that campus. And then in 2017, you go, we're just starting here yeah. and it's good yeah. and it's only going to get better. And the festival environment, the programming, we're going to do way more workouts outdoors this year, mm-hmm. um, which was one of the gripes that people had. Fitness is not an indoor sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a really fun presentation this year, uh-huh. um, but it's going to be a whole, but, and, but just knowing that you wrapped up this event and it wasn't like, hooray, we did it. And that's as good as it's ever going to get. It was like brand new home, yeah. way cooler campus awesome city where you walk around and like where it used to be like you've been to the after party in Carson. It was like one little hotel lobby. It was like, Oh great. You see everybody in Madison for, I stuck around for two extra days and for two days it was like, Hey, there's no Olsen and family over there. And like, Hey, you know, nothing but CrossFitters and there's Matt Jacobson and the whole Euro crew. And you know, they're having coffee and lunch and they're sitting at the terrace and they're, it was awesome. So the whole city fully embraced the event and to know that that's where we're going back this year and where we're going back next year and that sense of improvement. 
and what can we do better? How can we streamline? Mm -hmm. We're going to, you know, trim this stuff down because it was, you know, in retrospect more than we needed. Mm -hmm. And we're going to bolster this stuff to make Mm -hmm. it even better. Um, It was a brand new canvas and it felt like a lot of fun. Seeing that possibility of what. That you you did a good job and it's only going to get better. That you did a good job and then you look back and you're like, there's so So much much. that I can improve here. Yeah. And that was the fun part and, uh, and what makes me excited to get back out to Madison for this year. Awesome. I'm excited for this year too. I, we are going for the whole week. Cool. Um, we're going to the health conference. We're going to be there for the games. It's, it's, I think that, you know, last year I could only be there for a couple of days, but just in that short time, seeing how much the whole city got behind it and how great the entire environment was mm-hmm. beyond just the, you know, watching the competition but having so much other stuff for spectators to do i think that's the whole play is you know i know a lot of people are in that same boat they're like yeah. oh when you go to you know they're like ah, oh, if you go to carson you know you want to go and you want to do the beaches and stuff yeah. I'm like i don't know maybe if you don't have a beach you want to go and spend a beach day yeah um there's lakes <laughs> there's unbelievable lakes there and yeah. like the food like and this sounds real salesy but i was like man we went we dave and i had no intention of liking madison yeah we tried to blow off the trip really yeah we got there and we're like this isn't gonna work and we're driving around and we're like well you just I guess it could work and yeah, I guess, well, it's, you know, the restaurants are nice and yeah. you know, downtown looks clean and yeah, the city's easy to work with. We're like, ah, well, but the facility's not going to work. And then we looked at the facility and it was like, I guess you could do it over there. And yeah, that that would work. And you're really close to that lake. You could just yeah. run over there. And then we went into the Coliseum and we're like, Hey, <laughs> it works. Yeah. Um, and we're real picky. It's yeah. hard to run the CrossFit games just anywhere. You yeah. need all these different things. But, but you said it going early in the week staying a little bit afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a really cool, it's cheaper. All the food's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, hotel rooms are less expensive. The only ones left are on crossfithotels.com. Oh, the, yeah. All it's... the local hotels, they jacked up their prices and they're out. The yeah. only place we go in and we pre-book all these rooms mm-hmm. so that crossfitters and athletes don't get fleeced okay. by the time they come around. So the only hotel rooms left in the entire city are on crossfithotels.com. Wow. So everybody's like, oh, they're sold out and you can't get a room. You're like, wrong. Like, <laughs> we do have it. some. The red button on the game <laughs> site, you click that and that shows you the actual room inventory. Okay. Um, but it's fun, man. And the health conference that's available to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to just attend the event. Um, you know, the Coliseum's cool, but I think what's neat is just the overall experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, until like, you know, three to five o'clock every day, you know, three or four o'clock every day, people are going to be outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more stuff to take in yeah. between like get your own workout in, all the vendor stuff that's going on, oh, checking yeah. out the age groups, the team competition, all the, the individual master, competition yeah. that takes place outside. I mean, it's freaking rad. Then hanging out in the beer garden, eating dinner downtown which is like a mile away from mm-hmm. the campus um it's pretty cool yeah yeah and i excited. did i did not it reminded me i grew up just south of gainesville florida where the okay. university of florida is yeah um and so like i grew up in a college town yeah. and so going back to madison and seeing like a real college town being like this place you could get into a lot of trouble here yeah so i yeah. think it's a cool most people i mean i didn't even know anything about madison right people but people not, go and they're like holy cow this place is perfect right yeah, it's exciting. We're excited to go. That's what I, one of the first vacations I uh, requested this year. So we're excited. Good for you guys. Um, so I want to touch on a couple other topics because I know people are really curious. One is about sponsors and partners. So mm-hmm. how, what is your process? How do you decide what companies that you'll sponsor or partner with for the games? I'm fascinated that people care about that. <laughs> um, well, the uh, we've got a very small number of partners mm-hmm. and partners for us. It's Reebok Rogue and Arosti. 
Um, and they all have something that's larger than money, you mm-hmm. know? So Reebok, you know, they have shoes that were designed for CrossFitters and they've been, you know, super supportive mm-hmm. of athletes and affiliated gyms for a long time. Um, Rogue being, you know, I mean, what, what yeah, else what can, can you say, say? about Rogue? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're awesome. I mean, it's, I started 10 years ago with Bill Henniger going yeah. like, oh yeah, you know, he's got these modular pull-up bars. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do barbells one day and <laughs> figure out how to do it. And now, you know, a homegrown CrossFit operation and yeah. another guy that is also super passionate yes. about doing things right and growing it the right way yeah. and still you know all of us are going to look back in 30 years and be like this is maybe the coolest project that we've been involved with Ever, yeah. and the impact that it can have um and then arasi they provide free service to all the different trainers at mm-hmm. affiliated gyms mm-hmm. free service and, the, and they're not cheap mm-hmm. if you can get to an affiliate if you can get to an arasi location you sign up through their affiliate program yeah. providing complimentary service so at the partner level it's people that you know we can hold up in the spotlight mm-hmm. and we can showcase their brands and we really feel, um, you know, they do the right thing. They amplify our message and, and they're bought in, you know, mm-hmm. they're fitness people at the sponsor level. There's tons of those same people that have the same ethos. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little bit more, um, those guys are more involved with certain operations. So like mm-hmm. maybe they're sponsoring a, a particular show or a telecast mm-hmm. or the, you know, they want to advertise on certain platforms and stuff. And we've got this really great group. I mean, we've got these, they call them endemics. I have to deal with this all the time. Okay. It's like, well, when is CrossFit going to touch the non endemics? Uh, um, you know, the, the, the non fitness companies. Okay. And, so like all the companies that didn't come necessarily from CrossFit. Yeah. And so we have this great, it's not a cottage industry anymore. I mean, these are very yeah. successful companies now yeah. um, that are, you know, really growing They're servicing CrossFitters, which are an underserved market. Yeah. People that are like, you know, they care about their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They care. They're willing to, you know, invest in their future. Yeah. Um, and we've taught them to be real skeptical. Yeah. You know, Bill and I talk about this all the time. It's like, Hey, we took the middleman right out of buying fitness equipment. Yeah. There's no distributor model. No. Like that doesn't work. Um, you know, you go direct to the manufacturer and yeah. you buy stuff. And you know, we taught that a million years ago when Greg was going like, Hey, yeah, go to West Marine and buy your ropes. Don't yeah. go to whatever Sorenex's website yeah. and buy their stuff. Like there's a giant markup. Just go to West Marine and buy a rope by the <laughs> yard and you know, tie it together. Right. Yeah. And, and hang that stuff. But you can get really fit in your garage with kind of cheap equipment. So mm-hmm. we've taught people to be really skeptical. Um, and I like that. And that means that it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it means that our community really kind of smells people that are just trying to, you know, throw a product or a slogan or a line out there. Right. Um, and so it, it raises the bar for them. It makes us more selective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that there's certain people that we allow to participate because there's a, a business relationship there. And mm-hmm. it's really expensive to run the CrossFit games. Yeah. And some of those guys are valuable contributors and, you know, we may not endorse every product, but I think it's, you know, we let those guys say, if I got a quality product and you know, we put it out in the community and they're successful with it, man, that is a great relationship. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them genuinely want to help affiliates and mm-hmm. a lot of them are CrossFitters themselves. And so you see that over and over and over again, even the larger companies that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got a couple of other larger categories, non-endemic categories that we're talking to. And almost always when we sit down across the table, they mm-hmm. go, and here's so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. CrossFit's at fill in the blank, CrossFit's at fill in the blank, you oh, know, you know, awesome. owns an affiliate or something. Yeah. And we're like, man, yeah, it's like fight club. You, know, yeah. you sit down, you're like, you know, okay, they're, they're you all in, you, you know, get they get it. it. And they're trying to create products and services that make sense for people that have our lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so it's good. In terms of like interests, you know, the email sponsors at crossfitgames.com. Yeah. Um, and then we, we go through, we're not a real big organization. So everything's a lot of uh, a high touch and, mm-hmm. um, but the team, you know, mm-hmm. figures out the right, fit for yep. where they're at and what they're trying to accomplish. And it's been cool to see that grow and not only, you know, for the games, but also the opportunities for 
the top athletes and for a lot of them to be able to make their, mm-hmm. you know, training their full lifestyle because of these sponsors. So yeah. it's, and you probably have felt that mm-hmm. more directly, mm-hmm. um, but being able to provide opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a special thing. And what's great is that all of this comes around, Hey, we've got a big spotlight and if we share it smartly, then there's other people that can, you know, mm-hmm. kind of spread the, spread the benefit, mm-hmm. you know, to different areas within the community, not mm-hmm. least of which are, the athletes right. so that they can train right. so that they can, you know, that elevates the, the level of competition yep. every year because they can dedicate their resources to, to training. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. All right. Last topic, which I know people want to talk about is the banned substances because sure. there's always tons of talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw obviously last year, the first time that it really affected the podium at the games. Mm-hmm. And this year we've already heard a few announcements of, of regional level competitors that are now not going to be going to the games because mm-hmm. of banned substances. So maybe just talking about kind of the process that the games takes to try to ensure a fair competition, how that's evolved, um, and what you hope, um, kind of what you're doing, what you hope, how you hope that will shape the competition moving forward. Yeah. Good question. So I'll talk about what we're doing and what the intent is. Okay. Um, because I think sometimes the intent gets lost and then you just look at what's going on and people have a hard understanding of it. Um, we've had a couple athletes we've announced and more that we will soon announce, Mm -hmm. um, that provided samples at the regional competition, mm-hmm. which is part of the process. Any athlete that signs up for the open technically um, has to comply with mm-hmm. our drug testing policy, which means you know we're not testing obviously right. every athlete in the open, but we do test some athletes mm-hmm. in the off season, which is- Which by the way, I'm still on that list. Mm-hmm. I've never been tested. I feel so left out, but every six months I put in my, my whereabouts, uh-huh. but I'm like, I don't know how long they're gonna keep me on you this list. You should declare retirement. <laughs> You can do that, okay? Yeah, you can. Yeah, because <laughs> you're op- occupying space. You're the last thing I want yeah, is to I want be like, else if, you're on not, there. if you're retired, you shouldn't be yeah. on the. You're just hanging on to it. You can't let go. You're like, still an athlete doing. I like getting things. that email. You know? Yeah. Um, so we test athletes in a couple ways. One way that we test is out of season directed testing, mm-hmm. and so that means uh, anybody who signs up for the open has to agree to our drug testing policy, which means that we can test anybody that we choose to. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that could be for cause. Sometimes that could be random. We do less random. Now we do more directed. Mm-hmm. We have a terrific allegations process. And so we depend on the community to surface some mm-hmm. of these potential problems okay. and people go, Hey, take a look at this person. You know, like they put, you know, 45 pounds on their snatch in yeah. six months or something like that. That's strange. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a, a, a physical change in the athlete's appearance. Maybe somebody just knows other people at the gym and they've yeah. talked about it. And what's great about our community is that, you know, hey, we really care about the integrity of our sport. Yeah. And like Dave said, in the, I think it was the movie last year, it's like, hey, if we're both doing the same workout in the gym and you're cheating and I'm not, yeah. I'm pissed. Yeah. You know, like, you shouldn't have fair. beaten me. Um, so I think that it's been part of our job to empower the community to surface those potential challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we respond to that. A lot of our seminar staff that do operations around the world, mm-hmm. they will filter in, you know, names or, you know, mm-hmm. hey, by the way, we're in a certain place in the world. We're getting a lot of weird questions at a nutrition yeah. lecture, yeah. you know, and people are going, what do you mean? Um, so we test out of season directed. Um, and then what we also do is we test in competition. And so in, we always test the the podium, mm-hmm. all the qualifying athletes that go to the CrossFit games mm-hmm. on the individual side, we test each of the teams. And then at the games, we test again, we'll test throughout the week. Last year we had a couple, and then obviously last year we had the, the notable one, which was um, 
Ricky, who finished third place mm-hmm. at the CrossFit Games, we just qualified afterwards mm-hmm. because he had a banned substance. And so he's serving a four-year suspension. Um, this year at regionals, we tested a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, each year, and I think this is what people don't understand, is we increase our testing. Okay. And we take what we've learned from the previous year and we tailor it. This isn't a problem that we're running away from. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something we're going towards. Yeah. And that's the important thing when it comes to intent is that we don't want athletes to lose confidence that the police are here and that we're looking into this mm-hmm. stuff. The The scariest thing is when athletes go, I don't think anybody's watching. And I think that the rumor mill, and like you know on social media, it's mm-hmm. like you know you, hate, you hit a vocal minority and people are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my right. gosh. They're throwing shade over the legitimate work and all the effort and talent that these athletes yeah. have. And, and it's not fair. It's not fair for these top athletes to have to you know, answer to the internet that some knucklehead um, wasn't taking care of what he was putting into his body Mm -hmm. or was intentionally trying to cheat the system. And so um, what we're seeing now is I think more and more people, you know, in terms of games athletes that move on, there's um, without Ricky, um, you know, in terms of games athletes, you know, we've seen very few people that tested positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually when you do, like we had New England disqualified a couple of years ago, a lot of years ago now, mm-hmm. uh, it's usually for things that you can find in an over-the-counter uh, supplement. Right. And so I think athletes think I'm walking right up to the line yeah. and there's some bright line on the ground that as long as I don't step over, there's no bright line. Mm-hmm. It's like a cliff at the beach. You know, you might think you're safe and all of a sudden it crumbles right in front of you. Yeah. So when you're putting things in your body, you have to be very, very, very cautious. Um, and then there's another class, which is the athletes that are competing kind of a little bit lower down the board at, at regionals. Mm-hmm. And so we're not testing them because they don't make the podium. Mm-hmm. We changed some things last year. We tested uh, during registration and early in the week at one okay. region. And we had more athletes uh, that tested positive, mm-hmm. um, not qualifying athletes, mm-hmm. but people that tested down the leaderboard. We changed our testing this year and used that as a guidepost for us. Um, and we tested more athletes and we tested lower down the leaderboard. Okay. And we also tested earlier in the competition. And and we had more positives mm-hmm. this year than we've had in the past. Um, there's a lot of ways that people will look at this and say like, hey, you know, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. I think what we're doing is ex- exactly the right thing mm-hmm. is we said, hey, we saw something. And instead of going, hey, you picked up the rock and you said, uh-oh, we'll just put that rock down. Yeah. We're going, all right, start picking up the other rocks. Yeah. Like we need to get some light into this stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot of athletes that are just basically ignorant of what they're putting into their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of athletes that are intentionally cheating that have kind of the full laundry list, mm-hmm. um, there's athletes that are certainly cheating. And we've never said that this isn't the case. Um, you know, there's old CrossFit Journal articles where we say like, hey, you know, number one is bodybuilding. with steroids. Like if you want to change your physique, yeah. you should do CrossFit. And by the way, if you do steroids, it will change your physique as yeah. well. And so doing CrossFit with that is like, hey, that's a quick path. Yeah. That is not how you compete, you know, right. it's an entirely different thing. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people now, and it used to be this notion of like, hey, CrossFitters are the good guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but the bad guys don't do CrossFit. It's like Navy SEALs do CrossFit, mm-hmm. but the bad guys don't. And, uh, you know, the, and now it's like the bad guys are doing CrossFit too. And yeah. so there are people who are bodybuilders who are getting in really good shape and saying, hey, I want to compete. Yeah. And kind of like we did, you know, yeah. you've raised triathlons. I was like, hey, I got in really good shape. What do you want to do? I think there's yeah. a lot of people who are like, hey, I'm a bodybuilder and I'm doing this stuff. I'm like, I don't know what the rules are. I was like, oh yeah, fitness competition. I'm in. I'm really good at those fast thrusters and I learned the butterfly <laughs> pull up. Um, I think that's a smaller sample of people. 
I think what you have is more people who are uneducated about what's going in and they're taking things that are either not on the label. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it is there's an onus of responsibility on the athlete to say, hey, if you're taking a product that says it is going to give you energy, recover you faster, it's going to get you shredded or amplified or jacked or any of those things, you should be cautious about it. Um, You know, as an athlete, I know it's a lot of training. It's very stressful in the body to a certain extent to train as a professional athlete with the intention of going to the CrossFit Games. Um, and that you can't always sit down and like, you know, eat meat and vegetables, seeds and nuts, some fruit, yeah. starch, and no sugar, you know, every meal, four yeah. times a day for every meal. So, you know, you have to find ways to get the nutrients in to be able to support your training. But you got to be real careful because yeah. um, once it goes in, whether it's you knew it was a problem or you didn't know it was a problem, if it's in there, it affected your training. Mm-hmm. And you're not able to play. You're on mm-hmm. the wrong side of the line. And so we've got more athletes this year than we have had in the past. I think that's a positive thing. Um, I think what the athletes, hopefully they take away from this is that we know that we're going towards this problem. We're not turning a blind eye. Mm-hmm. We could have just kept the same testing program that we had last year and said, ah, let's just not go there. Yeah. We went there and we went there in a big way. Um, and I think that now as we continue to move forward, I hope athletes continue to know, one, take it serious, educate yourself, be risk averse. Mm-hmm. And then number two is if you got a problem, talk about it. Um, So if you think somebody's doing something, mention it to us. The allegations process, there's a hotline that's in the article that we just published on the game's website. Mm -hmm. There's an allegations form that you can send through support, which is anonymous, which we don't track. You know, we're not contacting you afterwards. You just say, hey, here's the information. You should check this out. Um, But yeah, I think that's that's where we're at. And my hope is that the athletes police themselves. Um, I watch this go on in baseball on the other side and, mm-hmm. you know, people just kind of hush, hush, don't talk about it. And I think it's the opposite with the CrossFit community. Yeah. Things are happening. We're talking about it. We don't have an obligation as an organizing body to mm-hmm. publish all of our sanctions. Mm-hmm. We could just say, hey, we're kicking you out of competition. The way that a lot of other leagues and teams do this is they got the violated team rules. Mm. They're entering a substance abuse program. Okay. You have an ethical obligation to punish the person you don't have an obligation to publicize what you're punishing them Mm. for. And we don't do that. We tell you what it's for Mm -hmm. and what we did. And we're fully transparent about Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, hopefully people understand that. And, uh, the P I'm not trying to satisfy, um, the people that want to talk about this and speculate and, and, you know, forums and discussions and stuff. What I really care about is athletes that are planning to compete at the CrossFit games or compete at regionals at a high level that they go, this is not safe for me to do this. Mm -hmm. And while it may be tempting, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong to my fellow athletes and it's wrong to myself to be falsifying in my own mind kind of where my ability levels are. Um, And then they take it serious and they hold each other accountable. That's very reassuring, I think, to hear that and to hear, I didn't realize how how the testing was, you know, broadening every year. I think that approach, you know, while people may see, oh, now there's more people being caught. Like, what does this mean? More people are doing it. That's one perception that people could have. But I think, you know, understanding that, no, we're actually testing more people. We're getting more people who are on the fringe who are not necessarily qualifying for the games. But Mm -hmm. this is a message and a warning to everyone out there. You know, if you're going to be competing in this sport, you know, you have, you should be doing it the right way to ensure a fair competition at any level. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the intentional cheaters are going to cheat. Yeah. You can't stop that. What we hope that we can curtail is the growth in people who are uneducated yeah. and they make bad decisions. Yeah. It breaks my heart every time we have to hear these things. Yeah. And somebody goes, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Right. My team's affected now. Yeah. Everybody trains so hard. Can you just swap me out? Mm-hmm. Can you have somebody else go instead? You go, I just it's made a dumb mistake. Yeah. We want more fewer dumb mistakes. Yeah. We should catch the people that are trying to cheat and we're working real hard to do that. Mm-hmm. 
we need to do a better job and athletes need to hold themselves more accountable mm-hmm. to say, I'm not going to be the accidental positive. Right. And it's not accidental. I mean, it's, you, you, yeah. there's some. And it just shines a light on, you know, our, again, our supplement industry and the you know lack of regulations that we have in our country. And whether you're taking supplements for performance or whether you're doing, you know, something for that you think is for your health, it's important to make sure you really know what's in the products that you're taking because it's, you know, it's a crazy world out there. <laughs> it is a crazy world. And I think it's also just lowering the expectation. Yeah. Like at some point, I've been doing this for 10 years now yeah. with the CrossFit Games, is people keep thinking, well, it was a product. Right. And that product was the problem. It's a whole, it's a blanket statement. You got to be real cautious about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And how absolutely gut-wrenching it is for the athletes that we've dealt with where I yeah. go, hey man, I mean, I've, I've heard the tears and yeah. the threats and the everything else. And you know, it really, they, I don't think I'm wrong. Yeah. I really don't think I'm wrong. And you yeah. go, listen, you provided a sample. There's a chain of custody. It was in your sample. Yeah. It was in your B sample. This is what our rule book says. And there's no gray zone here. Right. It is a bright line and you are on the wrong side of it. You may not have wanted to be on that side. Yeah. You may not have thought you were, but your actions led to this. And by the way, there's a whole history of this stuff where you go, hey, it's not safe. It's mm-hmm. not, not safe and like it may or may not harm you. It will harm your ability to be a professional athlete. Yeah. I mean, it's an irreparable damage for certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Ricky's going to be, you know, it's going to be three or four years before he competes again. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a big chunk. You know, he was a talented athlete who knows what his potential was mm-hmm. with or without what he was taking. But, um, you know, that was a guy that certainly had talent. Yeah. And, and when I say talent, you know, like he did all the right things right. and he did some wrong things. Right. Um, but, you know, that's not fun, you no. know. And, you know, what would have, that level have been if you were not using that? We'll never know. Right. Um, maybe we'll know in four years. Yeah. Great point. All right. Um, we're getting to the point of wrapping up. But yeah. before I ask, there's three questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. Sure. But before I go into those... Do you have, you mentioned earlier a morning routine or you've been in a morning routine. Do you have kind of a daily routine or schedule? Can you give us kind of what your day-to-day approach is or is it at all the same? I have an ideal morning routine. Okay. Tell us about and that. And I don't get to do it I can much. tell you about my ideal one. And then I'll t- I'll, well, I'll tell you what. I got two ideal routines. First, here's the real ideal routine is I like to wake up around five o'clock or 5.15. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll wake up. And I'll read a little bit. Um, actually, I'll journal. I'll journal. I've got mm-hmm. this little leather book right here. And so I've got one little Tiny side journal. that I write in, I like which it. is a daily journal. Mm-hmm. Use these little moleskin mm-hmm. uh, yep. journals. And I'll fill out two pages. And I'll talk about my day and just kind of facts, just like get some stuff out of my head. Like your your upcoming day? Or previous your previous day. day. Okay. So I'll journal about my previous day in the morning. And then... Uh, I'll read. Mm-hmm. And if I'm really humming, I used to do this when I, we lived in our old house, but I would be out of the house around 5.45 or 6. Mm-hmm. I'd be in a coffee shop by 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I would sit down, I'd have a coffee, and I would read mm-hmm. for 30 to 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that process was just great for getting organized yeah. and being single track. And afterwards, I would organize my day. So I write my schedule for the day, mm-hmm. things I need to accomplish. And then I start taking phone calls at 7.15, 7.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that one hour in the morning to slowly get up, yeah. get organized, focus on one thing, and really try to learn. And so I read, especially in the morning, I like reading things that you have to study. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a good student. Mm-hmm. And I transcribe things over. So on one half of my journal, mm-hmm. I write things that happened. And then the other half, I have another little moleskine. Mm-hmm. And it's grid paper. 
and I write things that I'm transcribing from the books that I'm reading. So okay. I read with a pen and a highlighter, or at least a pencil, mm-hmm. and then I'll transcribe quotes that I want to put over. Okay. And I don't really write them so that I can go back and reference it. Mm-hmm. It's There's strong science behind you improve your memory when I'm trying to read something and not just read it and underline it. So Mm -hmm. I'm reading intentionally to try to figure out what it is that I want to onboard into my head, but also I'm transcribing it. So I'm writing it. Yeah. And so I I help my memory a little bit that way. I love that. When I was in college, I would always do that with my notes. You know, you'd take notes in a class and Mm -hmm. then I would go and rewrite them in a more organized way. And just by doing that, it was like 10 times more likely to stick in my head. Sure. Yeah. And I think I was lucky. I went to a good school and I was always a good student early on Mm -hmm. and I learned how to take notes. And I think that was one of the most important things Mm -hmm. is learning how to hear what's going on, take the most important information, Mm -hmm. write myself a reminder on how Mm -hmm. to reorganize that. But you're organizing lecture material into a written format. And then I'm reorganizing the written format into an ideal format. Yeah. Um, And then I would study my notes, not the text before the test. And then, you know, I also figured out really early, I call it looping, but Mm -hmm. I can study for the last like hour before I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I just close my eyes and turn off the light. And then I wake up in the morning, I study for a half hour mm-hmm. and I just refresh the same notes I did before. And that feels like an hour and a half of really deliberate study. Yeah. And then I go take the test and I take it as fast as I could. Yeah. Um, because I thought, you know, I joked that school wasn't real hard for me. I was like, you sit in class and they tell you what they exactly want you to what know. You need to know. Yeah. They're not trying to fool you. Yeah. There's, there's no like misinformation yeah. in class. They're just trying for you to get it right. Yeah. And then they're going to ask you a question. And they want you to get it right also. Yeah. And they got to throw a couple of distractors and yeah. stuff like that. But I figured out how to take tests well. And uh, and I would sprint through and yeah. just don't question yourself. The answer was in there, yeah. especially with multiple choice tests. I yeah. was like, I did real well with that. Go with, with your that. gut. Yeah. yeah. Go I with your gut. That. Go fast. I love um, Any books that you can recommend? Favorite books? Oh, man. Yeah. Top, I mean, top uh, few. Yeah. Top few. Uh, I just read a book by Turkle called Reclaiming Conversation. Okay. It's fantastic. Daniel Levithan wrote a book called The Organized Mind that I think should be foundational. The way our nutrition yeah. course or the yeah. nutrition lecture at the level one course outlines macronutrients, the hormonal impact of food on your mm-hmm. body, how to weigh and measure you know, precision and accuracy. Mm-hmm. It does the same for attention, memory, mm-hmm. um, you know, how you manage uh, an over-influx of information, mm-hmm. you know, triaging things. Uh, but it just basically is like the, hey, that's the basics. You know, okay. like it's not a self-help book. It's like our nutrition lecture is not self-help i'm just explaining the process understanding how you form memories and understanding how your attention works Mm -hmm. what you allow yourself to give your attention to and being intentional about your intention attention Mm -hmm. i think is really really important um and there's a million others Um, i'm gonna have to check that one out the the turkle one's really good Uh, reclaiming conversation is one that i hope that a lot of people read about being comfortable with solitude Mm -hmm. being comfortable in conversation with two people i contact mm-hmm. empathy and i got kids yeah you know, so that's the i told yeah. you i won't go down that road but, but it makes <laughs> you, you very there. aware of those things oh, and then yeah. you know being a member of society and being very careful with what you broadcast Absolutely. it made me get off social media uh, and i wasn't big on social media but mm-hmm. um but it made me focus on conversations more yeah. um but those are two good ones. so that's my ideal mm-hmm. and then my real world now is i wake up mm-hmm. and my kids are up between five fifteen and yeah. six o'clock and uh we're teaching our three and a half year old son to cook breakfast so uh-huh, nice. so we'll cook bacon some yeah. mornings and some days we'll do banana pancakes Yum. like one banana and three eggs and yeah. you just scramble it up and so we'll do that now so i don't get as much focused uh thinking time yeah. and i try to i think a lot about thinking and trying to improve my quality of thinking mm-hmm. and uh and i get a little less of that but i get a lot more time with a 
a, a cool little four-year-old midget. And yeah. he's, he's a lot of fun to be with. <laughs> that sounds like a good uh, alternative. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. And then the rest of your day, you start taking phone calls. Are you yeah. working? Uh, and, and the rest of my day is I try to get organized early. Yep. Um, and then I know what's coming up. Yep. And so I know where I have to spend my attention. And then most of what I've tried to do now is live on a calendar where I'd be really focused when I start mm-hmm. a meeting. Um, because I might deal with, there's a, a sponsorship call with an outside company that has no idea what CrossFit is. And mm-hmm. you have to explain CrossFit and mm-hmm. the CrossFit games and what the opportunities are in the inventory. Mm-hmm. I might go right into a call where we're talking about uh, floor layouts with head mm-hmm. judges. Uh, right after that, it might be internally there's some you know, hey, an interpersonal thing that we got to deal mm-hmm. with in the office. Um, there might be budget stuff, you know, so you're digging into spreadsheets. After that, it's proposal writing. After that, it's, you know, trying to get organized, you know, and taking phone calls yeah. throughout the day with other people. Uh, Dave's got a great idea. You know, how do you document that? Make sure it gets into a, a workflow mm-hmm. so that we can deliver on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so be a sounding board. So, so yeah. I try to get organized early. And then I try to track really well as we go. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the list gets way bigger than oh, what yeah. you can execute in a day. So triaging for the next day yeah. and deciding what's one important thing to get done. And how do you deal with that? I know that a lot of people, if, you know, when things come up that throw you off track of your yeah. initial plan for the day or you all of a sudden your list becomes super long, how do you deal with that and adjust? I write a crazy amount down. Yeah. And so I don't ever go anywhere without my little leather book. Yeah. And then that I take a one piece of paper and I fold it in half. On one side, I've got my schedule for yeah. the day. On the other half, I have people I need to talk to mm-hmm. and things that come up on the bottom, mm-hmm. like tasks that come up. And so in every meeting I go to, I have a fresh white sheet of paper mm-hmm. and I'll scribble down notes. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that external process, it's outlining. It's yeah. just like we talked about. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to be a student of every meeting I go into. So if, the, if I'm meeting with the project and product managers for mm-hmm. our app and they sit in and they're briefing me on something, I'm writing notes. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I don't go back to the notes, right. but it's I'm making sure I understand what they said and then later I can go back. And that also helps me be single track when I'm yeah. focused with them, um, which is really hard. Because we deal with so many, I deal with so many different things that come across. Um, It's important that I stay focused on one thing. And so what I'll do is if I'm focused on one thing and something else comes to me or somebody's kind of trying to interrupt me, Mm -hmm. first I try to avoid it where possible. And then if not, I have a place that I write that stuff down. So I'm with you, but now I'm just going to scribble down a quick note to myself for later. And now I'm with you. So I don't spend time trying to figure out that problem, which Mm -hmm. is hard because I'm a problem solver. I like figuring out all those little and and, and true in today's world where you're constantly getting information from so many different places, mm-hmm. I think that's a really important skill to have is to know where to put it so you can go back to it and think about it later, but not get distracted from what you're An doing. An external memory. Yeah. It's figuring out where to put it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another part of like, you know, you read Organized Mind yep. by Levitin. All right, I'm reading that. And then you go, hey, there's a, you know, you, your brain is not good for that task. Your brain's not good at memorizing facts and figures. Yep. Paper is really good for recording facts and figures and Mm -hmm. tasks. If you do it up here, it creates a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. You loop on things in a negative fashion. And that's important from Mm -hmm. an evolutionary standpoint. It's really negative in a daily standpoint that you Mm -hmm. can't nag and let that thing go. But being really deliberate with your attention and then having a place where you can get all your other tasks down on the Mm -hmm. side and then going back to it, that's a better way. For me, it's a better way. I'm bad at going back to the other list. Yeah. <laughs> but your brain will lie to you. It's really good at creating a picture. It's not good at creating a fact sheet. I love it. So then when do you get in your 
workout time? Other, how does the rest of the day I go? try to work out in the middle of the day because yep. I wake up so early yep. um, that I try to work out because that's another way for me to purge. Yep. Um, and so when I go down, I turn off the cell phone. I don't turn it off. I leave it in the corner. But mm-hmm. I'll work out and then you sweat. You focus on something. So mm-hmm. intention with, intentional with that. Um, and then I get done and I try to just kind of sit quietly just for a few minutes and kind of get organized, mm-hmm. take a shower, um, eat. So I try to have that you know whole thing take place in about an hour in the middle of the day, yeah. And then I feel fresh and recharged, and I have a good attention span at about one thirty, yeah. And so I get a really fully attentive morning mm-hmm. where I'm really focused on stuff, and then I reset, and then I have a really attentive afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps because if I don't exercise in the middle of the day, and a lot of times that gets taken away from yeah. me as yeah. things get changed. Um, but I can come home, and I still have energy for my family, yeah. And so I can get in the door and having kids is you get home and now it's like great it's the first quarter with them (laughs) um and my wife's out of you know she's got two young kids and she's a nurse by trade and she's a caretaker but you know every day you know kids exceed (laughs) what you're capable of of doing so i get home and try to you know put the visor down and go to work with those guys and you know feed our kids she's usually fed them she cooks and takes care of those guys but i try to eat dinner um (laughs) and then bathe my son and put him down and uh and then usually you know i'll fall asleep at around 8 15 with him you know reading a book and trying to tell him a story and he's like dad you're not making any sense i'm like sorry (laughs) it's like i go from the jungle book like trying to tell him a story to you know now i'm rambling about work and the you know the layout of the north park he's like you're off man (laughs) what are what story are you reading yeah and the thing i struggle with is getting enough sleep yeah and i know that now and so it's at least on the crosshairs, but you know, I'm getting maybe seven hours. I thrive on about eight. Yeah. Um, during the games, I'll get three or four. Yeah. Um, and I know how to manage that also, mm-hmm. but it's just, you don't, you're not a dynamic person. Yeah. You know, at the games, it's, it's really, I live in that loop yeah. where it's like, I go to sleep and I wake up an instant later. Um, and you never stop yeah. thinking about the schedule and the timeline yeah. of the events and all the teams. Um, but that's not a healthy way to live your right. life. It's short periods. Short periods. Yeah. It's a skill. How do you, any tips for, that when you can only get a few hours of sleep, how do you make sure that you, you stay on point during those couple of weeks? Uh, perpetual motion yeah. is one. Um, the, you know, at the games when we do that, I've done it for a long time. And so, and I also had a, a weird thing for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a very short period of my life where I was basically an insomniac mm-hmm. and you know, where I would sleep, I would go to bed after everybody else and mm-hmm. I'd wake up before everybody else. And so that didn't leave a lot of hours. Um, so I'd be, you know, an hour or two hours mm-hmm. and this is for months. Um, and so I learned how to cope with it and you're capable of doing it. Yeah. You just got to be real smart about everything else. And it's not smart by the way, it's not smart at all, but it's, you manage that environment and I do this at the games where it's like, I'm the last guy for years. I was the last guy to go to sleep. Yeah. So it was like two or three o'clock in the morning, all the feedback from the day, getting into a list. Mm-hmm. And then I sync the schedule. Mm-hmm. And so I go, I take all the notes that Dave wants to tweak about workouts and timelines and time caps. I take all the media deliverables and when mm-hmm. we're going to be live on ESPN or on CBS. And I sync all that. So it's within the minute yeah. and I won't go to sleep until that's right. Cause yep. everybody depends on that schedule being right when they wake mm-hmm. up. And then, you know, so you'd wake up at, you know, 4.30 or 5 o'clock or something. Mm-hmm. And usually I'm trying to ride over to the venue with Dave. And Dave's real good at saying, hey, we're not going to leave before 5 o'clock. And then at like 4.15, he's like, where are you? And so, Ready to um, go. so, you know, just managing it. So it's, you know, I wake up and I got my food in a particular way. So mm-hmm. I'll do coffee in the morning. I try not to eat early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then perpetual motion. Um, you know, the nutrition is a big side of it too. Yeah. It's like everybody's got their right. What's your macronutrient plan? When yeah. do you eat and timing and stuff like that? Um, but perpetual motion, if I can grab a quick nap, and this mm-hmm. sounds crazy, but like 10 minutes just quiet mm-hmm. um, does so much for your mental clarity 
and mm-hmm. and also your attitude. Yeah. And so trying to find a place in the middle of the day at the CrossFit Games where you can just go, hey, just for five minutes even. Yeah. I mean, it takes most people five minutes to go to the bathroom. Yeah. You know, so if you could just find a quiet, dark corner and be like, great, I'm just unplugged for a second. Mm-hmm. And then you plug back in that hard reset. And then, you know, it's easier to smile. It's easier to take some of the challenges that get thrown at yeah. you. Um, but it's, you know, just years and years of doing yeah. it, you know, and it's every year I'm like, okay, it's time to go back. You know, <laughs> my wife and I'll have a sit down and be like, Hey babe, it's, it's coming, you know, yeah. like at about in a week or two, it's hard being a dad because yeah. you don't want to give up that stuff. But right. you know, as I watch a show on Tom Brady. I'm like, same thing, you know, yeah. like during the season, you, have you know, those, yeah. quarterback's wife's, you know, a much, she's got an elevated role within yeah. the family. So. All right. Last three questions. Okay. We're getting there. Yeah. Um, first one is three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Three things that I do on a regular basis yeah. that have the highest positive impact on health. Um, the three things that I do on a positive, on, on a regular basis. I think one is I try to make a lot of eye contact with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife, I think eye contact is one of those things. Like if you're just tracking eye contact, yeah. it just makes you feel good. Yeah. Um, you connect with other Connection. people better. I'd say all, I love that. We kind of joke, it's hard to be a good dad with one hand. Yeah. And you know, that cell phone cell that you phone. have in your hand is great at taking your eyes, yeah. your eye contact. It's not worthy of your eyesight or your, or your eye contact. Um, but when you look at your kids in the eyes and you look at your wife in the eyes yeah. and you look at people that you're meeting with in the yeah. eyes, um, you're present and they know it. And I think it shows respect to them. Um, so I try to do that where possible. That's one thing that I think makes me feel better and mm-hmm. it makes me feel more connected to other people mm-hmm. and you feel less alone yeah. and you feel less disconnected. I love that because I hear, you know, a lot of people talk about the relationships being very important, but mm-hmm. making it that simple is just saying eye contact. You know, how do we how do we strengthen those relationships with mm-hmm. people that are important to us? I, love I don't that. know if people are going to watch this, but so my daughter is one yeah. and, uh, and she has this thing that she's done since she was real little where it's like she'll be in her, in her uh, car seat and she'll like, crane her head out <laughs> and so sometimes I'll be talking I'll hold her in, in my on my left side yeah. and I'll be talking to Calvin my yeah. son or my wife or you know doing something else and then she'll just kind of creep around she's like hey I'm, I'm down here and she does <laughs> it you know me. but it's kids are really smart yeah. you know she's like hey I'm checking in with you yeah and that's good for you that's cool I don't know how you quantify it but yeah. man it's just part of being a human being is looking other people in the eyes so yeah. I think that's one thing um, reading and getting organized is the second um, reading in the morning mm-hmm. quietly, spending time to yourself, uh, I think is really important. And I think that a lot of times you read on your cell phone or you read text messages and you read tweets and Instagram posts and Facebook messages and, and you binge watch television. I think that's all pleasurable and addictive and mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's fun. Um, but I think it's an unhealthy behavior mm-hmm. overall. And I think unmoderated, it can be really negative. None of that is revitalizing to me. Mm-hmm. It's not regenerative to me. Um, and so I've tried to minimize that as much as possible. I have to. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the way I communicate with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but also just try to temper that down and try to raise the level of conversation a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but I think that when you read and being able to unitask on one thing, it helps me be more focused in meetings. It helps me be more focused in my relationship with my wife and my kids mm-hmm. because it's practice. Yeah. I mean, I just sit and I try to read one book yeah. for 30 minutes and I try to really be focused on the book too. And not page turners. This mm-hmm. isn't like, you know, I'm, oh my God. And I've done that, you know, right. like I read Huck Finn and it was like, yeah. oh, that was fun. But, you know, reading challenging stuff and yeah. trying to be a student of something. Um, 
so that it's hard and it makes you kind of grind your gears a little bit, but I think that makes you sharp. And it also makes it easier when I sit down in a meeting and somebody tries to explain something to me. Mm-hmm. I go, I'm trying to really figure out what you're telling me. Yeah. Instead of just going like, oh yeah, you're talking about JSON and programming languages and this kind of stuff. And like, I don't get it and I'm not going to get it. I really try to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I want to be a student of what you're telling me. So if I'm in an IT meeting and you're telling me these things and you can't communicate with me, mm-hmm. I'm a bad leader. If I can't know what you're trying to tell me. It's mm-hmm. like if I sat in a finance meeting and I don't understand the P&L statement or I don't understand direct staff or mm-hmm. things like that, I'm impairing my ability to lead if I can't figure it out. Yeah. And so spending time focused on a book, whether it's on nutrition or it's on you know, your brain or if mm-hmm. it's, you know, sometimes just reading fiction, you know, mm-hmm. just being fully entranced in something, um, that ability transfers to other things very well. And so that doesn't necessarily help my health, but it helps, well, it does help my health. Yeah. It helps my mental clarity and mm-hmm. it de-stresses me because I'm less worried about what I, misinformation, because I can figure things out. I'm like, I shouldn't be worrying about this. Yeah. Why? I, I got what you're telling me. Yeah. And you t- and, and a lot of, oh my God, I'm worried you're going to be upset. I'm like, I understand it. You know, you <laughs> told okay. me I can't get what I want. Yeah. And it made sense. Yeah. And you explained it to me in a way that I understood. And like, we didn't think you were going to get it. I was like, okay, I'm not <laughs> mad at you, you know, but thank you for explaining that to me. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, I mean, this was my trio forever was exercise, nutrition and sleep. Yeah. And if I could get two out of the three, I was real good. If I got three, I was on, I was a superhuman. Yeah. And right now sleep is taken from me because our kids don't sleep real well. Um, and that's fair for this kind of season of life life for where we're at. Um, so my nutrition is really good. Mm Um, and so, you know, being a flow master on seminar mm-hmm. staff, had that great opportunity that Dave and Nicole granted me and, and I took full advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's real important to me is, you know, I can always eat well. And I think for a lot of people that are listening to this, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things that can be, you know, intimidating or stuff I've talked about that's kind of technical. When you have a little discipline over your nutrition, mm-hmm. it is empowering and it can be progressive to yeah. move into other areas of your life. Um, and so for me, my, my nutrition is kind of a hallmark. Um, and then the uh, and then fitness is you know it's always hey, part, yeah, yeah if you do CrossFit <laughs> and you eat right and then you sleep you do yeah. really well but uh, but right now the target for me is sleeping more um, I'm in a phase of my life too where I've got young kids and mm-hmm. I don't want to forget these moments and so if you don't sleep it's really hard to create lasting memories yeah it just becomes more foggy yeah and so you know journaling helps me remember things so I, I write a lot about mm-hmm. what happened in my day but also yeah. I try to be really intentional about like remembering you know, what Calvin said or, yeah. or that thing. Um, because I want to be able to remember that when I'm 60. Yeah. I don't just want to remember that, hey, this is a crazy season. That it was our second year in Madison and all right. the ups and downs and stuff. I want to remember the funny stuff that my, my son said and the challenges that my wife and I had, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with it and, you know, yeah. being like, holy cow, like all the new coping mechanisms yeah. that you, you don't have yet, but you're trying to figure out. So, so sleep, I think. So I guess the three would be, I don't even remember what the first uh, one was. Well, you already answered my next question, which is what's one thing that you think would have a big impact, but you're having what would hard, have a big impact? Yeah, but you're if having I a hard time. If I slept eight hours a night, it would have a big impact. Mm-hmm. Um, what would, uh, man, the, the sleep's a funny one. How did you overcome that period where you had trouble sleeping? Was there anything that... Uh, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I graduated out of that. I think it was just, you know, just life took time, me in a different yeah, direction. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that was, it was my senior year of college and my dad had passed away. Okay. And so that was a particularly challenging point. Yeah. Um, and I think I just kind of naturally came out of it. It yeah. wasn't some like, I didn't fix it. I'll right. say it like that. I right. wasn't like, here it is. Um, 
But I do think actually, I'll t- I take that back. That, um, at that point, I did a media fast. Okay. I, I mean, it was so. I uh, that was my senior year, and then my uh, when I graduated, I did an internship. Mm-hmm. And so I was traveling a lot, and so I lived with some friends of ours, mm-hmm. and they had like this like uh, A-frame mm-hmm. house in the back of their property, and so like I didn't have a house; I was homeless, yeah. you know, for basically like a year yeah. after college, and it was great. I loved it, um, but I traveled all the time, and uh, I didn't watch any television. Mm-hmm. I stopped listening to the radio because I was like, man, there was a ton of advertisements on, yeah. and there wasn't a lot of good streaming services then, and. And so I read a lot mm-hmm. and I went to bed early and I ate really good food mm-hmm. um, and I worked my butt off mm-hmm. and and I would wake up every morning and I would exercise mm-hmm. and then I'd go into work. It'd be in like an hour and a half before everybody else. Yeah. I'd crush work. Um, I'd get done. I'd go do a CrossFit workout yeah. and then I'd go home and I'd be asleep at like eight o'clock and, awesome. and I felt awesome and I read so much and you just became, I became voracious yeah. with what I wanted to input. And, and I think that's the part that I like about reading is, you know, when you just, you're on social media and things mm-hmm. people send you and things you hear around the office and stuff like that, you're not really ingesting a variety of different yeah. uh, inputs. Mm-hmm. You don't have different perspectives. It's hard to be tolerant. It's hard to really see two sides of a conversation. Mm-hmm. And when you sit down and you read something, it, it, it makes it more empowering to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I did that for a time and I was like, man, I was a sponge. I love that. It was really, really good. And shortly after that, I found CrossFit. So I, you know, I wonder if that was maybe, you know, maybe that sleep and exercise period Mm -hmm. was, you know, kind of reset the, Mm -hmm. reset Mm -hmm. the machine a little bit. And then I was receptive to, you know, a neighbor or a roommate that was doing CrossFit. Yeah. Got it. So sleep a lot. I think a lot of us can improve on sleep, but I think so underestimated how important it is. I read, or uh, where was I? I was hearing about this, but they're like, you know, Hebrew culture views it differently. Mm. And that they would say that you sleep first and you work with what's left. And so their day starts at sundown. Mm. And so, you know, you would nourish yourself and then you would sleep. And then you wake up and you work Mm -hmm. for what's rest of the day. And then you stop. And then you nourish and you sleep. As opposed to, that's not the cycle that we're on. You wake up and you work. And with what's left in your day, you you nourish yourself. And then you sleep with the very last sliver. Interesting. And then you wake up, but you will commit to work. Yeah. You don't commit to getting your nourishment yeah. and commit to getting your sleep. Yeah. And I think that's a, an interesting way to live from abundance, um, which I think could be helpful for a lot of people. Definitely. I love that. Last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? For me, a healthy life looks like, uh, a healthy life for me looks like a simple life um, with time mm-hmm. to spend on relationships um, and just lots and lots and lots of good thought. And conversation mm-hmm. um, and I think exercise and nutrition and work and all of that is a means to that end mm-hmm. is to be able to have I mean that's why I like working here yeah is you know the work's good the people are great mm-hmm. um, and we have an ability to make an enormous impact mm-hmm. on the world here where I said you know like I'm not gonna cure cancer I'm not landed a guy on the moon this is the next best opportunity for me to have an impact mm-hmm working for CrossFit, the health initiatives that we're involved with, the truth that we teach at the level one course that mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to deliver for five yeah. years, the gym that I'm still you know, small owner of <laughs> back in Jacksonville that does that. Um, I'm so proud of that. And I'll be able to look back at my son and say, hey, like your, your dad did something yeah. that he was passionate about, but it was also right and mm-hmm. it was good. Um, and it contributed. Yeah. You know, it wasn't for us. You know, we didn't just do this so we could make more money or we could do this or we could live a certain lifestyle. Like we had a role to play and yeah. we did and we took advantage of it. Um, and for me, a healthy life would be able to look back on that and say, hey, I have time to remember it. 
I have time to talk about it, people to talk about it with mm-hmm. that hopefully I went through it with. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, in a body and a mind that can, you know, remember and, and, you know, be full of recreation, you know, to be able to move your body, you know, late into your life. Mm-hmm. I want to live until I die. I don't want to live and then have 15 years of, you know, managed decrepitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my wife's grandfather is this awesome example of that. Mm-hmm. He lived in Maine and he skied, hiked, and sailed into his late 70s. Amazing. Unbelievable. You know, like mm-hmm. cut from a different cloth and yeah. we're like, not possible. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, Tom Allen did it. <laughs> you rocked it, you know. Yeah. Uh, doctor of osteop- uh, osteopathy. Yeah. Um, and you know, so he was this like incredible guy, incredible mind, yeah. kind person, caretaker, you know, patriarch of their family, uh, humble, you know, mm-hmm. just easy. And he would, you know, he, you know, eight years old, putting the kayak in by himself down <laughs> at the rocks, go around the island, you know, just like a, like a, a durable, sturdy, resilient yes. person. Um, and so, you know, I hope to have that from a physical and mental standpoint and not have the other side, which is your brain goes early. I got Alzheimer's and depression on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to dodge that. Yeah. And it was nice to hear, you know, some encouraging news that you don't have to have that, yeah. you know, it is, you know, lifestyle induced yeah. and that you can, you know, do prevent a lot to that. Prevent it. Yeah. Yep. Try to do that. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Justin. This has been awesome. That's been my pleasure. Really appreciate it. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I learned so much from Justin and I especially loved how he talked about his habit of reading first thing in the morning. I already bought the book he suggested, The Organized Mind, and I cannot wait to dig in. Now we want to know from you, what are some of your all-time favorite reads? Books that have fundamentally changed your outlook or the way you function day to day. Share them with us on social media using hashtag pursuing health. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. This episode is brought to you by a company that's made my life significantly easier, and that's Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online marketplace, and they're on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. It allows you to shop for thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below retail prices. But as a Pursuing Health listener, you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase, plus a free 30-day trial if you visit www.thrivemarket.com forward slash ph. My husband Danny and I have been ordering from Thrive Market for years, and it's helped us to maximize our efficiency with grocery shopping and meal prep in the midst of our busy schedules through medical training. Using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items, things like nut butters, cooking oils, snacks, dressings, coffee and tea, even personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, and non-toxic beauty products. 
we know that they're coming from a curated list of products we can trust. Whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, ketogenic, gluten-free, non-GMO, sustainably farmed, fair trade certified, or any of 80 plus other types of products, you can easily find them by filtering on Thrive Market's platform. And they're all at prices 25 to 50% below retail. Even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep, so you never have to worry about the time or hassle of grocery shopping. Here's a few other reasons to love Thrive Market. First, they're the very first company in the country to go 100% zero waste. All of their packaging, boxes, and inserts are made from recycled paper and are recyclable themselves. They're the largest retailer in the country that sells exclusively non-GMO groceries, and more than 70% of the Thrive Market catalog cannot be found on Amazon. It provides greater access to high-quality products at prices comparable to conventional products in supermarkets. This helps to decrease the barriers to healthy living for everyone. We also have the opportunity to vote with our forks every single day to change our food environment in this country, and Thrive Market can help us do so by supporting companies that are also working towards this mission and producing high-quality, healthy, and sustainable foods. So that's why I love Thrive. Thrive's mission, again, is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone, and this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because it's been such a lifesaver for me, I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you, and they've responded with an amazing offer. So once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to receive 25% off your first purchase plus a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. Why not try it out and do your grocery shopping from home this week? I hope you can take advantage of this offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to learn more. No discount code necessary. Just shop around and the discount will be applied at checkout. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork directly to your doorstep. Now, I think meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there is a huge, huge difference when it comes to animals raised in feedlots that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics, and those that are responsibly raised, fed their natural diet, and never given growth hormones or antibiotics. ButcherBox gives me some peace of mind, knowing that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and that it will taste amazing. They allow you to order curated or custom boxes of meat, and they always come with recipe ideas for you to explore. My husband, Danny, and I are super excited about firing up our backyard grill this summer to enjoy our ButcherBox selections with tons of vegetables from our local CSA. And you can join us. ButcherBox is extending an awesome offer to you for listening to Pursuing Health. Just head to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie for $20 off your order plus a free order of their delicious bacon. Again, that's butcherbox.com forward slash Julie. Hope you can check it out and that it makes your life a little bit easier just as it has done for us. Mm-hmm. 